Hello, everyone. Um, uh, yes, AJ's um, asked me to give a brief introduction before he starts off today. Um, so I've been thinking about uh, how can I possibly do justice to what I think you're about to hear, because the first time I met AJ, um, it literally changed my life. Um, and so really the only thing I think I can do is perhaps tell you a bit about what's happened to me having met AJ and having practiced what he's been teaching, really. So, um, by way of background, I've been sort of searching spiritually for probably about seven years, initially as a bit of a tourist, um, and then more seriously. And I got to the point where everything, every path I went down seemed to sort of end with like, well, this doesn't quite fit, or there's something missing here, or, uh, you know, it just didn't feel right. And then two years ago, I met AJ, and um, he gave us, he was giving a talk very similar to the one that you're about to hear now. And so I started off, and I was like, yeah, well, I know that. I've read that. I've heard this. And then, then it was kind of, hmm, I've never heard that before. And, uh, ah, wow, that's kind of different. And this makes a lot of sense. And, wow, I wonder if this is really true. And um, it literally blew me away that evening. And I went back with my girlfriend, and we literally, well, we stayed up to about 4 o'clock in the morning that night just discussing what we'd heard and um, going through it. And... Uh, so we sat there and we thought, okay, well, what should we do? Um, and AJ said, well, try it and see if it works. So uh, that's what we decided to do. We thought, okay, well, we'll try this and let's see if it really does change our lives because it feels like it will do. And so um, the first thing we did was had a bit of a truth purge in our relationship. And um, I can say it was a pretty painful experience, to be honest with you. Um, heard some things I really didn't want to hear. Um, and, um, yeah, that was the start, really. And, uh, but in doing that, from hearing the truth, there's also a kind of relief that came with it. And some of the insecurities that I may have felt or those feelings that I couldn't get rid of, at least I were validated now. And having had that truth, it allowed me to look at the situation and sort of think, okay, well, at least I know what, what we're honest now and we know where we're at. And we started moving forward from there and practicing as much as we could. Um, the next thing was have a truth session with myself about who I really am, and that was even harder. Um, when when you start when I, when I started looking at myself and sort of looking at who I thought I was and who I presented myself to be to the world, and I looked very carefully at what my actual actions were, I noticed there was a gap between the two, and that gap was, if you like the emotions that were within me that I really didn't want to look at, the feelings I didn't want to feel, the, the insecurities I was trying to cover. And, um, yeah, and that was a that was a very hard experience. And um, with a lot of AJ's help and um, watching a lot of DVDs and listening, I managed to work my way through this process of being more and more honest with myself and being more open-minded uh, being more humble. Humility has been a huge part of this. Um, when I started off, I thought I knew quite a lot about the world and myself and spirituality. And the further I go down this path, I realize I know very little. Um, or at least I'm, I'm learning more, more honest I can be with myself. So, um, yeah, it's been what I'd a life-changing experience for me, um, both myself, my partner, and I'm sure there's many of you here that know AJ um, that have also found this to be pretty life-changing as well. Um, 
some of the most amazing things that I've found is like when I can connect to an emotion and I start really owning and taking responsibility for myself rather than blaming somebody else or being angry with somebody else. I find my life starts to change and I see my children change as well. When I can deal with something, my children are freed from that emotion that I'm not dealing with and that responsibility to try and and now I guess I used to shut them down and not want them to reflect back to me. So there's been there's been so many things um along this journey. Um and really all I'd say to you before sort of wrapping up is that to get something from this as much a part if you can get just a tenth or a hundredth of what I've received from learning from AJ, it's like please try and be as open minded as possible. That's helped me so much because I found some of the hardest things and things that slowed me down the most are when I've really tried to hold on to like an old belief or something that I just don't want to be true. And um, that's sort of, yeah, that's been a real hindrance, especially when I look back and think, ah, oh, yes, yeah, that was right, damn. Uh, that took a long time to feel that one. And um, so when I do get stuck, another thing that I try and do is like, I look back to where I was at a week ago or a month ago or even a year ago and I see how much I've changed and how much my life has improved by following what AJ has taught and just always trying to look honestly at what's happening and always taking responsibility for myself and always trying to feel my emotions. Um, okay. Where I'm at now, but um, I think that'll probably do for me, really. Um, and uh, I'll pass you over to AJ. Thanks, Michael. Everyone can hear me fine? Yeah. Well, I'd like to welcome all of you along today. Um, some of you, or many of you, have already heard some of these uh, truths that we'll be discussing today. Some of you have been invited to come by those who have already heard. So don't you go blaming them for anything that I say. <laughs> anything I say is my responsibility, not theirs. And what I would like to do firstly, though, is just give you a little brief overview of, of my life, perhaps. Uh, it'll be very brief. In fact, it, I think I'll just make it one line. Um, Alan John Miller, that's why people call me AJ, because of Alan John, you know, the first two let letters of those names. I'm 46 years old and uh, I live just uh, northwest of Kingaroy in Queensland. And, uh, and that's about all you really need to know about me, really, isn't it? Don't you think? You'll, you'll find out more as we go along, I'm sure. <laughs> what we're going to do today is present to you, I want to present to you an overview of the universe. Now, many of the things I present today are going to be quite challenging. Because many of you have done years and years of spiritual uh, investigation. Some of you have done years of uh, material investigation in terms of the, the science of the universe. Some of you have done more spiritual investigations. You may have been in many different forms of religion through the time of your life. You may uh, be involved in the New Age type movement in terms of discovering things about spirits, for example. Or you may just have a, a very natural scientific bent and you've been using all of that knowledge to actually discover things about the world in which we live in and what's going on inside of yourself. And what I would like to do today is start presenting to you some things that I call the divine truths of the universe. And it's, I'm not saying that you have to accept that they are the divine truths of the universe. 
What I'm saying is I'm going to present them to you and you have your free will choice to make a decision as to whether you want to investigate these things further or not. My suggestion to you is to investigate them further, of course, but I don't expect you to investigate them and I don't want you to investigate them. It's up to you what you do with the knowledge that you receive today. That's why I don't charge for any seminars that I do. We just have a donation box at the back to cover Mary and I, our expenses and our living expenses. And if you don't, if you walk out the door today not donating at all, I don't want you to feel bad about that at all because that is your um, feelings that, that are being expressed. So what I would like you to do is just express your feelings all the time during these sessions. Now, some of the problem with, with that is me asking you for that to do that is that some of your feelings are going to be what I would call a group of dissatisfied feelings. So let's have a look at uh, what kind of things. Let's say, let's say, if you can imagine for a moment that inside of you is this like this container of emotions. So let's draw it as a big circle, a container of emotions, and inside of your feeling inside is inside this container are all sorts of emotions, but basically you could divide them up into two different types. You could say you've got the emotions where you feel satisfied, satisfied. You'll notice I'm not a very good speller, so that's, that's one of the first things you'll notice about me. The next set of emotions are the emotions that you feel when you are dissatisfied. Now, most of us love experiencing the satisfied emotions. Do you find you have any trouble with those? Like joy, you, you, know, you have a real stressful time when you feel joy, is that how you feel? No, okay. And what about you know, when you're making love to your wife or, or your husband, you have a real stressful time with that, like that's a terrible time, or is that more of a joyful, satisfaction type emotion? Well, for many that would be a satisfied emotion, particularly afterwards, which shall we say. And what about uh, the emotions of... Uh, of excitement. You know, when you go down to one of these theme parks, and I know many of you are probably bored with them now, but I haven't been to many of them, so when you go there, there's just that excitement all day, pretty much, a lovely emotion. Have no trouble generally feeling those emotions. Um, if you put me in the surf and there's good surf, I'm happy all day, so that's a very satisfied emotion. How do you, I, I don't know how you feel about the surf, but that's my feeling, really satisfied emotion there. The issue with satisfied emotions is that we have no trouble experiencing them. The issue with these groups of emotions is we have a lot of trouble generally experiencing them in an appropriate manner. And when I say appropriate, I mean in a manner that doesn't dump something on somebody else that's negative. So what kind of dissatisfied emotions may we have? Well, anger is perhaps one of them. Now, not many of us enjoy anger, although sometimes you wonder, don't you, when, with some, that they must enjoy it, but not many of us really enjoy the feeling of it. It feels very, there's a lot of agitation in us emotionally when we feel anger. But what about the emotion of, like, resentment? Which is sort of like almost an extension of anger. Most of us feel quite the same there, too. Very hard to feel. What about... And this is something that's going to come up a lot today, trust me. Doubt. Doubt's a funny sort of emotion, isn't it? Like, 
because it, it, it causes you to oscillate between, oh, this is interesting, and, oh, no, there's something wrong here, and then, oh, this is interesting, and then, oh, no, there's something wrong here. And in between those oscillations, if we could call them emotionally, there's this feeling inside, oh, I just want the whole thing. Now, to be frank with you, many of you have probably felt that your entire life on spiritual journeys, haven't you? How many of you have felt that, this, this feeling of you go, as, as Michael described earlier, you, you go into you know, a certain spiritual path, initially you're feeling really, really enthused, you think there's a lot of truth in it, you can feel that truth resonate with you and so you believe it. And then as you go on, something comes up and you think, ah, oh, something's wrong here. Something's wrong, and then it gets so bad that there's so many things wrong that you decide, no, I can't go any longer on that particular path. And then through your law of attraction, another path comes to you, and you go through the same cycle. Yes, very enthusiastic. Yes, that feels really good. And off we go again on the same, and then eventually we get to the end. And if you look at our life from a point of view of investigating truth, often our life is like this great big oscillation, if you like, where we think we're harmonious with truth, we think we're on the right path and then we see doubts come in and then we go down and then we get a bit annoyed with the whole process and we ask ourselves, whoever created this flippin' universe, why didn't he just come and download the truth to me, you know, like, and get all this pain all over and done with, right? And so we go through this doubt. Now today you're going to have many doubts, trust me. And it's not my responsibility to clear up your doubts for you, by the way. But... Understand that doubt is different than the emotion, which is a more satisfied emotion, of discernment. What do I mean by discernment? What I mean is the ability to not yet make a decision, even though you're hearing confronting things. So what you do when you're discerning is you let the stuff that's getting presented be presented to you and then you use all of the things at your disposal, and trust me, there's a lot more things at your disposal than most of us realise to determine truth. And the key is we use all of those things that are at our disposal to actually ask ourselves questions about, is this the truth that's being presented? Now, what's going to happen today, sometimes I'll say something and you will have a doubt. In fact, that will be pretty often, trust me today. Right? For many of you have never heard this material before. Sometimes what I say will actually create anger. And I want to make a contract with you. If you feel like you're angry with me, my feeling is you've broken this contract between you and I. I'm giving you my time for free. I'm not expecting anything of you. I'm not expecting you to even listen to me. You can get up and leave at any time you wish. And of course, because it's for free, you're not going to lose anything except the time that you invested in this. So if you feel that way, if you feel you just cannot hear anymore, and trust me, there are probably going to be quite a few times where you feel that today, allow yourself to feel the feeling, and if you really want to leave, leave. My suggestion is to just go outside and express some of the fear and doubt or anger, and even if you want to yell or scream about it, that's fine, I'm perfectly happy. Then come back and listen to a bit more and see how you feel about that. That would be my suggestion to you, but you don't have to do that, do that either. But one thing I do ask you is to own your emotions about what's being presented. Now, in a group of a couple of hundred people, 
if a few of us don't own our emotions and we get really, you know, the Australian saying, you get your knickers in a knot, right? And before you know it, what's happening is a few of them are verbalising that in this auditorium. So rather than asking sincere questions, they want to dump their anger on AJ because of what he's saying. What happens is that destroys the experience for everybody present. So what I would like to ask you to do is to not do that. I'm perfectly happy to receive your angry emails. I'll give you my email address just for that purpose, if that's what you want to do afterwards. But if in this presentation, just for the sake of love of others, you can uh, allow yourself to feel those feelings, and if you still feel them at the end of the day, I'm very happy to hear from you about them. So, the key is how we respond to truth inside of ourselves emotionally. And if you feel any dissatisfaction feelings, there will be times when you feel doubt, anger, resentment. You will feel what some people and have called triggered. And I don't sort of like the term very much myself, but it's a term that's used quite often nowadays for emotional triggering. And my suggestion is to own those emotions as much as you can. All right, so do we have a contract, you and I, to actually own our own anger and not to express it to the rest of the auditorium here. Have we got that contract? Okay. okay. And uh, by the way, if it does happen, I'll be, uh, I'll be stopping my conversation and reminding you of that contract. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, the first uh, thing I'd like to say is probably one of the most confronting things you will hear today. You see, when I'm producing, like how... How arrogant is it of me to call a session Secrets of the Universe? Well, a lot of people would say it's very arrogant for me to even present something like that, as if what I'm going about, about is about to, what I'm about to say are the secrets of the universe. By the way, I don't feel arrogant about it. I just feel very humbled that I've learned these things, as does every other person who's ever learnt them historically. But quite often what we do is we judge others through our personal feelings. The truth is that what I'm going to present to you are the secrets of the universe. They were lost many, many years ago, and uh, almost 2,000 years ago lost to this earth. And it's only recently that, the, that they've been represented back to the earth, and we'll discuss why that's the case. The reason why they are the secrets of the universe is that every single aspect of your entire life from now on, whether you know or not, is governed by these secrets. We're not talking about the secret, you know, the law of attraction that gets presented in the, in the presentation, the secret. I'm talking about a whole wide variety of laws and truths that govern your life moment by moment by moment, every single day. These are not religious laws. These are not political laws. These are laws that are a part of the universe that we're living in. And they not only govern your physical body and how it works, they govern also another body that you actually have, whether you know it or not, the spirit body that many of you 
are starting to connect to in your own discoveries. And that spirit body is governed by these laws too. But not only that, there's a whole part of ourselves, the majority of us, are just in the infancy of discovering. Just in the infancy of discovering. And that whole part, I would call the soul, and we'll talk about the soul later, and that part of you is also governed by all these different laws. And no matter what you do in your life, no matter what you even say in your life, is governed by all these different processes going on. That is a mixture of what is happening inside of you and what the laws of the universe are all doing with regard to responding to you. And what we'd like to do is present a summary of all of that today. Now, I'm today not going to be able to go into the nitty-gritties of each particular thing. Many of you will have little questions come up. And uh, some of those questions will apply to the topic. Some of those questions will be off-topic. So what we're going to do today is if a question's off-topic, I'll encourage you to come back tomorrow and ask that question. Tomorrow's session is free, just like today. If the, t if the questions are on topic, we have two roaming, roaming microphones. Can we just stand up? Uh, Tristan's on one side and Anna is on the other side and they'll put a microphone in front of your face. <laughs> when you hold your microphone, by the way, can I just illustrate that? Hold it up nice, nice like that so that we can get the sound of your, of your voice and, uh, and you may even find a camera sort of focused towards you and to get your face on the, on the camera, and hopefully you're okay with that. And if you're not, then just say, no, I don't want the camera on me, and we'll take the camera away from you. But if you can hold up the microphone at least so that we can all hear the questions that you're asking. Thanks, Mike. Now, the first question everyone asks me is, well, how do you know, you, you say you know the secrets of the universe, how do you know it? And I say, well, I've, I've learnt it in my life. And they say, well, like, who taught you these things? And I say, well, God taught me these things. And God taught me even how to learn these things. And then they say, well, when, when did all that occur? And I say to them, well, that all occurred a couple of thousand years ago in my experience. I've just had one experience, one life, and in that one life, which has lasted 2,000 years, um, I've experienced these things. And then they ask me, well, who were you 2,000 years ago? And here's your first confronting thing. <laughs> uh, I'm Jesus of the Bible. The person, Yeshua ben Joseph, the person that you would have seen in the Bible. If you've read it. <laughs> most people nowadays haven't, of course. But most people have heard of me um, as Jesus. Not many have heard of me as AJ. Now, that raises a few questions straight away, doesn't it? Don't you think? You feel a bit of challenge there about that? Just felt the whole feeling just go down a bit there? Mm. And, and the first emotion was, mm, yeah, 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 I see that one, yeah, yeah, doubt, yeah, I see that one, and, uh, and so forth. There's only three possible um, choices you have with me saying that. Do you know that? There's only three possible choices. The first possible choice, which many of you right at the moment would then say is the most likely, is that I am uh, crazy and delusional. 
And to be frank with you, I've done these presentations with many thousands of people and the majority of them feel I'm crazy and delusional. Although in time, many change their mind. We'll look at that. The second possible option, um, what would that be, you think? What about this, that I'm devious? Or, or you be more frank, let's be more frank. And a liar. That's second possible option. And the third possible option has to be, really, that I'm telling the truth. Right. Now, can you see, again, we've got choice, you've all got choice, and you've got a choice of three possible options. Now, I might be a nice, fine, like, loving, crazy and delusional person, but it doesn't change the fact that if, if I am not the person I'm saying, then I am crazy and delusional, doesn't not? And the truth is, too, that I might not be a nice, fine, crazy person. I might actually be a devious person who actually wants to become some kind of messianic cult leader just for you to follow, and that might be the option. And I'm sorry if that freaks you out, but, but I can't do anything about that. That's an emotion inside of yourself. I don't want to be a cult leader. I just want to be myself. That's all I want to be. Or the third option is I'm telling the truth. And if I'm telling the truth, hmm... That's going to be a problem in its own self, isn't it? Can you see that? How do I tell someone else that I just met Jesus? That's going to be a bit hard. How do I, how do I listen to this stuff with an open mind when I've already made a judgment? Now, the reason why I'm saying who I am up front is because in previous presentations, what I've done is I've presented for three or four hours and then I told everybody who I was. And a lot of people went away feeling quite upset. And the reason why they went away feeling upset is because they feel like if I'd told them who I was right at the beginning, they wouldn't have stayed for the three hours and listened to the rest, right? And they just wasted three hours of their life. So I'm telling you right up front, and so, uh, of course, you're free to leave at any time. Because if the session is free and you won't even lose any money from it. How about that? So that's the options. Now, it's not very important to you who I am, if you think about it. It's only important to me who I am. Like, can I reverse that for you? It's not necessarily important to me who you are. It's only important to you mostly who you are. Can you see that in your life? Like, each of us have an identity. Each of us have a history. Each of us have had a life. Each of us have experienced whole groups of things in our entire life, have we not? And that's your life. If someone came along and took all that away and rubbed it all out, you would be very confused, would you not? Like, where would you be? You'd be hopeful. You'd hope that that would happen. <laughs> but, but it would also create a lot of psychological confusion, trust me, because it's very, very difficult to actually not be who you are, although many would argue with that. Right? How many of you are still struggling to be who you are? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's something that we often struggle with. But what I'm talking about is from an identity perspective. We all have an identity. And my identity is no different to yours in that it's just my identity. It's just who I am. It's just my experience. And my life is no more important than yours, by the way. No more important than yours. You are just as important to this universe as am I. 
We both have the same amount of worth, if you like. So my saying that I'm Jesus doesn't mean that I'm saying I'm better than you. Can, can you understand that? All I'm saying is that's my identity. That's who I am. What, me saying I'm Jesus doesn't mean that I want you to listen to me. Because if I wanted you to listen to me, I'd lock the doors, uh, have a few security guards around, maybe with machine guns might be good, and we'd just keep you all in line. So I've got you for four hours, you know. I would try to use techniques or whatever that would try to make you feel bad, and then, and then you listen. And I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. All I want to be able to do is present some truth to you. But you don't have to listen to that truth. And you don't even have to believe it's truth. You don't have to accept anything. It's up to you what you accept. Also, if I want to take your money at some time in the future, I'm very certain you'll find that out sometime in the future, wouldn't you? So you can work through that emotion if that's what you want and feel that I'm going to and, and leave these truths behind just because you feel I might do that. That's up to you. By the way, many have done that in the past, both in the first century when I was on earth and now where they thought that. Also, many feel that when me, my saying that I'm Jesus, just like many people when I said I was the Messiah in the first century, had a huge reaction to that. They felt lots and lots of different emotions that were powerful in them. And as a res response to that, they couldn't listen to what I was presenting to them. And just recently I talked to a group of people who 2,000 years ago couldn't listen to something that I said. And for 2,000 years, in the, a different dimensional space than where we are here, sitting here, they had stayed locked up with that emotion. So my suggestion to you is don't let what I say lock you up emotionally. Just allow it to pass through you. If you don't agree with it, move on like with your life. Allow other things to come to you. If you want to experiment with it, then by all means experiment with it and I'll do everything that I can and I'm already trying to do everything that I can to help you experiment with these truths. So what I would like to do is, well, I wanted to do that just to tell you who I was because from now on you won't hear much about me. What I want to talk about mostly is the secrets of the universe. I want to start with one of the best kept secrets of the universe. And you're going to laugh perhaps that you think it's the best kept secret, but it is actually because very few people know this, know this secret. And that's the secret of God. Whenever I say the word God, what do you feel? Well, if I come from a religious background, like I come from, let's say I come from Catholicism, my feeling might be straight away, well, you know, God's a punishing God. I don't believe in the punishing God thing, so therefore I don't accept religion and I don't accept anyone talking about God anymore in my life. So as soon as we hear the word God, straight away turn off. If we talk about God and we happen to be an atheist, what do we feel now? There is no God. What are you talking? Why start a conversation on the secrets of the universe and there, when there is no God? Like that, so that might be quite confronting. If I was speaking to a Muslim, they would feel that I'd be talking about Allah, the one true and only God. And a Christian, of course, may feel that way, although Christians, some Christians feel that God is three in one God, like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's all these feelings, aren't they, that are all different, all defining God. 
If I was in the New Age movement, what I feel God is, I feel our oh, God's within me, so I'm God. Right? So you hear that all the time, don't you? Like, I'm God, you're God, we're all God. Isn't it wonderful how good we've got our lives together? God's got her life together, right? It doesn't feel that way to me at the moment, so you know maybe that's not true, but that's what we're told, and we start to think that's a good idea, and so along we go with that. And so all of these concepts of God are bombarded at us that are all actually based around emotional injuries generally, all sorts of injuries. And a lot of the injuries are based around things what happened with our parents. So if we've got an autocratic, domineering, punishing father, we'll often then, whenever we hear the word God, we automatically emotionally feel "Mm, autocratic, domineering, God, you know, He makes this whole universe, throws away the book and then makes us live in it without any guidance. But we may have that feeling. Some of us may have good feelings about God because we've actually received some things from God that we've enjoyed and so we have some good feelings about God. But to be frank, that's a fairly rare thing on this planet. Most people have very, very rigid viewpoints of God. So I'd like to talk about God for a little bit. To me, it's the longest discussion I'd ever like to have with somebody is about God, but most people can't cope with much of it at this point. So what I do is I introduce God to you. God is an entity. God is not just an energy. You know how so so many times we feel that, or we're told that God is love. You heard that saying? God is love? I agree totally with that statement, by the way. God is love. But there is a statement that I don't agree with, and that is... Love is God. I don't agree with that. The reason why I don't agree with that is because love is a quality of God. God, the entity, has this quality which is not only just an emotion, but it's a substance that God has of love. So love itself isn't God because God has other qualities. So God has a quality of intelligence, creative intelligence. God has the quality of wisdom. God has the quality of power. God has the quality of understanding. God has the quality of absolute truth. All of these qualities belong to God, but they don't mean that absolute truth is God. It means it's one of God's attributes or qualities. Does that make sense to everyone? There's a difference between focusing on the attribute or quality and focusing on the, where that attribute and quality came from. So, when you look at God, my suggestion is, just for a moment, consider the possibility that God is actually an entity that has qualities and attributes. Just like you are an entity that has qualities and attributes. Unique qualities and attributes, in fact. In fact, we could get all of you together and compare your lives and every single one of your lives will have similar things that might have happened. Like, for instance, most of you would have attended a school somewhere. But what happened when you attended school and all the different interactions you had would be very individual and unique. And what I'm saying to you is God is an entity that created the universe, the source of all matter and the source of all creation, the source, in fact, not only of that, but of all laws that control those things, is this entity God. 
this entity God, I personally do not completely understand. And I've been living for 2,000 years trying, in fact it's been my sole focus for 2,000 years trying to understand. And I still do not understand the entity God completely. There's whole areas of God that as I progress spiritually and as I progress in love, I find, oh, wow, I, I didn't realize that before here in my heart. You know, I had an intellectual concept, but I couldn't feel it until a certain point in my life. And one of the things is that God is love. That's one of the first things that I did learn. But I also learned that love is not God. Love was a quality of God. In fact, a quality of God that God could give to me. And God has lots of different qualities, actually, that God can give to you. And a lot of it depends upon the asking. But we'll talk about that in a minute. So there's God. God is also has, you could say, some primary characteristics or attributes, primary things. Let's call them these two things. Divine truth, or you could just substitute for the word divine, Absolute truth. Absolute truth is the domain of the creator. And divine love. Or you could also use the term again, absolute love. Absolute love is the divine, is the domain of the creator. So this is my creator. The reason why I've got it drawn like that, God drawn like that, is because God also has masculine and feminine characteristics. So you'll hear me sometimes refer to God as my father. And you'll also hear me refer to God as my mother. I very rarely say mother, father, God. The reason why I very rarely do that is because every single attribute of God usually has a masculine or feminine trait. And when I allow myself to feel God completely, I'll feel what trait is allocated with what particular attribute. For example, the attribute of creation, God's creative power, is definitely the domain of the she. So I call, usually when I talk about my creator, I usually speak of her, my creator. There are other qualities like the maintenance of the universe is another quality that God has. And what I do there is I talk about a he generally because generally that is a masculine type of a characteristic, something that maintains, you know, and if you think about it, wow, that sort of relates a lot to our earthly life in a way, doesn't it? Like, you know, how many times does the wife ask the husband to fix the, you know, tap or something? How many times does the husband ask the wife to do it? No. You know, generally a lot less, right? So you can see how there's definitely masculine and feminine traits even inside of each one of us. So there definitely is in the Creator. So the Creator, the source of all divine truth, the source of all absolute truth, uh, needs a H there, and the source of all divine love, or the source of all absolute love, where she came from, I don't know. And in 2,000 years, I have not been able to discover it. I feel that sooner or later, she might try to show me where she came from. But when you think about it, that also makes sense in a way, because 
It's a bit like you building a car and then the car being able to understand you, isn't it? That, that requires a lot of intelligence on the part of the car. The car really has to be you to understand you. So you can see that if, if I wanted to fully understand the Creator, I in the end would have to be the Creator, which is not really something that's possible as far as I'm currently aware. So all right, so God's got these qualities. Masculine, feminine traits, and these big major qualities of divine truth and divine love. And what does God do with them? Well, what God has done with them is desired, and she desired to actually have children to express her love to. Right? And so what happened it was there was these heaps of little tiny, you could call them souls, that were created, and there's a saying that comes from the Bible, in God's image. So each one of these little souls have masculine and feminine traits, and there's billions of them being created. When God desires to do something, she doesn't laze around, and she doesn't wait very often at all, and in fact what she has a tendency to do is just keep going. <laughs> Keep creating. And the way the universe is designed, and we'll see when we get down to the technicals of the universe, the way the universe is designed is in exactly the same way. Now, God, this creator, the source of all existence, created these little beings to experience her love, but she gave them the choice to do so. You've all heard of that. It's called free will. Most of you would have heard of free will. You've all got free will, the ability to make choice. Although sometimes in this world it doesn't feel like free will very much, does it? Like when it comes to taxation time, not much free will going on there. Like That's what it feels like. But in reality, we all have complete autonomy, complete free will. That's how God created us. But when God created us in this state, which is what you would call a complete soul state, God as yet, didn't give us the ability to know ourselves. God just created everything and then set in motion a series of processes. The first process was a process of what I call incarnation. And we'll talk about incarnation in a minute as we progress. Now, God also created a universe. But God was very clever the way she created the universe. She didn't actually physically create the universe. or very, In fact, very little of the universe did she physically create. What she did instead was created all of the laws that created the universe. Right? So she created a heap of laws that allow us to be involved in creation the human soul. There are no so we've got God, the original, the origin of all of this universe, and now we've got these little souls, if you like. We'll draw them over here. These little souls with masculine and feminine traits all over here, in a place waiting to do things, waiting to do something. Now I want to state the first a few things about that those souls. Firstly, 
they don't know they exist yet. So they are not conscious of self in this state. So the very first time you were created, you didn't even know when that was. Can, if you think about it, you'll actually, if you go right way, way back to a first incarnation, wherever that was, and we'll talk about when that was later, when you go way back to a first incarnation, you can't remember before then. You can't remember where you were. Because we weren't conscious of ourselves. We also did not know how to express free will. So we did not express free will yet. To, have a, to, to express our will, we have to be conscious of ourselves. The two are dependent upon each other. You see? If we're not conscious of ourselves, how do we know we've even got a will? We don't. So at this state, we're not even conscious of ourselves. We don't know we have a will. In this state, though, there are a number of things we do have, even though we're not conscious of them. We have a thing called sexuality, a characteristic called sexuality. We have a, an, all inst these are all instinctual of the soul, not the body. I'm not talking about the body here. I'm talking about this creation of God called the soul. We'll talk more about it as we go along. We have a, we have a, a connection with the universe that we're unaware of as well in this state. Right? So, so in this state, we know we don't know anything about ourselves, and we don't know anything about our environment, but we are we are still connected to the environment even though we're unaware. We have lots of other characteristics and traits. So I've written some down. I can't remember them all just at the moment because I'm, uh, I've just realised that I've missed quite a lot of what I wanted to say to you. Um, but we'll get back to them. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that we do have some instinctual things. Instinct. instinct. Um, one of the instincts that we have in this state is the instinct to do a thing called incarnate. You've heard of that before? We often hear of the word reincarnate, right? But very rarely do we hear the word incarnate. And we'll talk about the process of incarnation of this original soul. There was a time, there's a time in every single soul's existence where that first step to incarnation occurs, the very first time you ever came to Earth or to a place like Earth, shall we say. You have lots of different things in that state, but you do not have a consciousness of self. And there's only one way to gain a consciousness of self that God created, and that is to do the process of incarnation. Now, what God did too, so we'll just come back to this, what God did too is God created a universe. Remember I said that God created not so much the universe, but the potential of the universe's existence. And what God did then is involve us in this process of creation. But what it is, is we have lots of what are called interdimensional spaces in the universe. 
How many have I got so far? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right. There's actually 22 at the moment. But one thing about the universe is that it is, it is always expanding in terms of every new dimension that's created. And it's also, in each dimension, expanding laterally. So every single dimension is expanding sideways, if you like, and every new dimension gets created one more than the other. And each is separated by what you would call an interstellar boundary. The interstellar boundary is a boundary of love. And this is one of the secrets of the universe. Understand that the only way to progress from one dimensional space to another dimensional space is to grow in love. That's the only way. Now, there are literally groups of lots of people in different dimensions who believe there's other ways. But they will only ever grow to certain condition in that state and never grow any further. And it's almost a natural thing that people start growing in love, and we'll talk about that in, turn, in the future as well. So we've got these interstellar boundaries of love separating these dimensional spaces. We call these dimensions, shall we? Or what many spirits call them, spheres. S-P-H-E-R-E-S, spheres. But if you can, call, you can think of them as either inter these dimensional spaces or spheres. Now, up until 2,000 years ago, there was only the sixth sphere in creation. Between 2,000 years ago and now, another 14 spheres, sorry, 16, six plus, 16 spheres have been created. But they weren't created by God. They were created by God's laws being in condition where the first person who entered the new sphere created the dimensional space. So what happened historically is God, you could say that the earth in its original state was created and all of the people who were, who were before in their pre-incarnation condition we're all about in the sixth sphere of the creation. And what happened was, over a period of time on the earth, mankind's condition degraded. And so new dimensional spaces of love had to be created so that they could live in them. So the first person who soul degraded in condition to a fifth sphere condition created the fifth sphere. And the next person, the first person who whose soul conditioned to the four, degraded to the four sphere, created the four sphere. It actually happened very, very rapidly historically. These creation of the spheres in a downward direction, and so we ended up with six spheres. And so, if you look historically at a lot of texts that have been discovered prior to two thousand years ago, and even after for a fair time you'll find that whenever they talk about dimensional spaces, they often only talk about six or seven of them. And you may have found that in your own discovery when you've read some spiritual literature, for example. And then 
we had the creation of other spheres and these other spheres all got created by the first person who entered those spheres. Okay? And as that person entered the sphere, the sphere got created and then as the next person entered that sphere, it expanded. Each single person that enters a new dimensional space expands or creates even more a part of that dimensional space. So you can think of all of these as dimensional spaces of existence, of which there are now known to be 22 dimensional spaces. We're right up to there? Now, by the way, you may ask questions. <laughs> so you can stop me at any time and ask a question about any of these things. So I'm perfectly happy to answer questions. What we'll do though is make sure it's the microphone. So Tris, if we can come down. Paul, when you're mentioning about the qualities, you're talking about sexuality. Did you mean gender? No, I don't mean gender. And I'll, I'll describe more sexuality um, as we talk more about the soul itself, because we, we will be talking a lot of detail about the soul. Okay. Yep. And part B, <laughs> yep. further question, when you're talking about the expansion, are you talking in a physical sense? Because you're saying sideways, which is a direction. Um, I'm talking in a physical sense, yes. The universe, the, each dimension has physical matter in it. It's not matter of the same type as the matter that we have here in this dimension, but it is physical matter. When you go to these dimensions, which you will do, usually most of us go there when we pass, that's the first time we go to another dimension, you'll find that that dimension has houses, it has rocks, it has grass, it has trees, birds, animals, it has all sorts of things. It's all in a different, but it's a different subliminated form of matter. But they, it is still matter. It is still matter that you can touch and feel and sense and taste and hear, see, everything is still, and in fact, you will feel when you enter that state that you feel it more strongly, you can touch it and it feels more, you feel it more, you can taste it and everything tastes more sensational and so forth, you'll find that actually as you progress with your soul, everything grows in capacity and, not, and is not reduced in capacity. So just so, last question. Yep. Um, so therefore the senses that we currently know of, the five, yep, senses, the five senses, are still with us and continue to expand? They continue to expand and in fact we have senses added to each form. So, so while you have what we know as sensorily as the five senses to the physical form, the spirit body has far more senses. And then the soul itself has far more senses again. Each, each part of us is actually a superset of the previous condition. So this is something to be aware of in our own growth. Yeah. Now we can actually in, become in tune with many of these other parts of us that we're only using five senses now, but we can actually become in tune with these many other parts of our sensory apparatus while we're still in the physical form. And many people you've heard of have done that, right? People who many of you refer to as gurus or people who are avatars, some of them have started developing these other senses. And in fact, there is a wide variety of senses that is available to every single person on this planet to develop. We're all created the same in that way. Thank you. All right. Um, back there, yeah, um, 
one thing that I thought, and I suppose other people do as well, is that um, when you die, and when you died as Jesus, I my belief system was that everything was revealed after death. Yep. And what you're saying is that ain't that ain't the way. No, that's true. I'm saying that's not true. Yeah, that's correct. And so the truth is, when you pass, you will know exactly what you know right now, no more, except that you've passed, the instant you pass. However, the instant you pass, there'll be a number of different events that will occur quite rapidly after that, where you'll know a larger amount in a very quick time. But it doesn't mean that you'll know the secrets of the universe. You will have to discover them, and in fact, most people never discover them for thousands and thousands of years. I've spoken to people in other dimensions who have taken 20, 30, 50, 70,000 years to discover some of these secrets that you're being told today. So the truth is, when you pass, you are not all of a sudden some all-knowing being directly connected to God. That, That is just not a truth. You are not directly connected to God just because you passed. And you don't, you don't automatically know everything just because you've passed. And this is one of the problems of what I would call mediumship problems. You know, a lot of times we, some people of us finish up getting to the state where we start to accept that there's other dimensional existences. And so what we then realize is that there's some people in our, in our world and some in this audience too that can actually communicate with these other dimensional beings, right? And so they, we go along to one of them and we start communicating and we ask them questions and we assume one fatal assumption and that is that the person we're asking in the spirit world actually knows and has experienced the answer of what we're asking and that is not a truth. You see, they are just as opinionated as we are. Right? And they think they know things that they know nothing about many times, just like we do. And so just because a person's in the spirit world, or a person's in these other dimensions, shall we say, either one is fine because it's the same thing, just because a person's in the spirit world, it doesn't mean that they actually know the truth of what they're talking about. On any question that you ask them. If you can imagine for a moment that all of a sudden you pass, you've got the same mind that you have, because later we'll show you where the mind is, you've got exactly the same mind that you've got right now. You've got exactly the same, in fact, all of your experiences that you have right now are exactly the same as the moment you pass, aside from the fact that you've now had the one extra experience, and that is, I passed, right? And I now know that there is this thing called life after death. In fact, after a while when I think about it in the spirit world, I realize, oh, I don't know if I can really call it death because nothing really happened aside my physical body. And I start seeing my physical body, oh, that was just a tool really. Like, but that's just a, like an apparatus, like a robot, you know, that I can use to experience the spirit, this physical world. And I realize that and I go, oh, well, I didn't really pass at all. All that happened is I changed my state. That's all that happened. Nothing else. Now, if that's all that happens, I just changed my state, that doesn't mean I become some all-knowing being all of a sudden. I still have to learn, discover and grow. And what's that dependent upon? That's dependent upon my open-mindedness, my open-heartedness and a lot of other qualities that if I develop them here on earth, I'm going to be 
in great store in the spirit well you know i'm going to go very well in the spirit world if i develop in here on earth but if on the earth i go down the other track which is the track of becoming very closed-minded rigid not you know all of those kind of things what's going to happen is i'm going to arrive in the spirit world with all this rigidity closed-mindedness in exactly the same condition and somebody comes along and tells me oh actually you're in the first sphere this one what? 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 It's fear? First fear. You're in the first fear. Do you mean there's more spheres? Yeah. I don't believe you. I can only believe what I can see. How many times have you heard that on earth? I can only believe what I can see. Do you think that's going to go when you pass? No, it's not going to go. You pass and you'll only believe what you see if you retain that emotional belief. So, oh yeah? Oh yeah, I, I can see that's where I came from, the earth, and I can see that that had a body and I haven't got that body anymore, and I can go there to that earth and I touch the person's body, and wow, I can put my hand right through their body. Now that's a bit weird, so that's different, you know, that's something that's new. And I discover all of these things through my personal experience. And then I start trusting, like, oh, what he said to me was true. He said that I'd be able to do that. Maybe I should have a listen to him about some more things that he might know. And I start to discover that actually some other people know more than I do about this new world that I'm, or this new dimension that I'm living in. And so I go off discovering all these beautiful things in this dimension. The first one. And, uh, cause most of us, by the way, pass into the first one. And, uh, and that's something that we need to address here on earth because the first one is a far cry from where God created us to be. So, so we want to deal with that and have more bliss in our lives than what we'll experience in the first year. So most of us pass there, we have all this process of discovery going on still. Just like you have right here, right now. Exactly the same really. Except, as all the spirits who are here listening, and there's quite a lot of them, as all of them know, you know things because you passed. That's the only difference. What we want to do is pre-know the things that we're going to experience a little. And I don't mean that we, that we're close-minded once we pre-know it. What I mean is we want to open our mind and heart to the fact that this might be possible. Because if we open our mind and heart to the fact now, when it comes there and we're shown and somebody talks to us about it, we go, oh, I've heard this before. And that's going to help us a lot in our future life. And that's why it's so important. There are literally billions and billions and billions of people who have passed from this earth, who are still stuck in this first fear place, in places where they're still experiencing terrible, terrible emotions. And the main reason why is because they don't want to listen to anyone. They don't want to get out of that state because they just don't want to listen to somebody. And so we don't want to do that. That, that would be a huge waste of our life. And I've talked to many, like I've said previously, that have waited in that state thousands and thousands of years in that state, not wanting to listen to anybody, thinking that the life they currently have is the life that they can only create. How many people on earth think that? The majority, don't they? How many on earth think that the life we currently have is the only life we can create? Quite a lot of people on earth believe that. So I'm suggesting don't believe that and also don't assume you're automatically going to be all-knowing because you are not going to be all-knowing as soon as you pass. Is there any other questions? Um, down the front here and then up the back on this side.
if my body develops in the physical, mm -hmm. down on this earth, uh, my senses, are they also developing more then? Or my sensitivity develops more? Or We'll answer the questions of development later in our presentation, but just one thing to understand is actually the soul changing is what causes all development of all senses. So we'll talk about how we can change the soul as we go on in our discussion. But it's important to understand that you can spend a lot of time on your physical body developing something when you could do it in a fraction of the time if you develop your soul. Right, so you're far better off developing yourself. So, for example, many of us have become very health conscious. Who's pretty health conscious in the audience? Yeah, good. Well, half three quarters of the audience. You can become health conscious. So, what do you do? You start, you know, picking out this food. Picking out, no, I don't have that food. I don't eat that food anymore. We start making some rules for ourselves about what we eat and so forth, and we become quite health conscious. We you know, oh there's, oh, oh, there's a bit of ache there. I wonder what that's about. We rush off to a naturopath or a healer or whatever else and we work out what that's about and we work through that emotion and then we do the same with whatever is going on in our self. And then, you know, when we're 40 or 50 or maybe earlier, we, you know, get cancer maybe. And then, wow, there's something else I don't work out here. Something's going on and I change my diet a bit more and then I realize, oh, there's some emotions starting to be connected to these these diseases and I start realizing some things about that and I might work through the emotion that created my cancer and then I deal with other things going on in my body that way. But initially we're very focused on the physical, aren't we? When we start caring for ourselves. And I'm suggesting it for yourself, don't stop caring for yourselves physically, but you will need to start looking at caring for yourselves at the soul level. Because if you care for yourself at the soul level, everything else will change in the most rapid possible way. And that's just something to bear in mind for the future discussion. And question? Okay. I have a question about the uh, being within the spheres. At any one time, like for instance right now, are we within this one sphere or could we be visiting other spheres at the same time? Are we solely encapsulated within one at any time because we have these teachers and like yourself, for instance, standing there saying you have this knowledge and sharing it with us. Um, does that mean that you could perhaps be in more than one sphere at a time? The truth is right now all of us are in the sphere that our soul condition, and we'll talk more about our soul condition in a, in a minute, that our soul condition is in love. So how much we love depends on how, what spheres we can travel to. So if I love to the extent that I, can I could live if I passed in the third sphere, then even in my physical state, I can travel from earth to the first sphere, the second sphere, or the third sphere. But I can't go any further. Because it's, each sphere has a dimensional bound, has an interstellar boundary, and the interstellar boundary is a boundary of a certain level of love. And if my soul hasn't developed enough in that particular aspect of love, I cannot cross that boundary. That's the only thing that prevents me from travelling through different dimensions. So if on the earth, I'm on the earth, and I develop my soul, I can develop my soul to the 22nd sphere while I live on earth. Now, in the first century, I developed my soul until the tenth sphere when I was on earth. So all I could do is go 
when I passed in the spirit world, I could go to the tenth sphere or any sphere below that. But I couldn't go above that. And I had to develop my soul in love more to go to the eleventh sphere and the twelfth sphere and so forth. Does that make sense? So each sphere is a, has a boundary of love preventing you from pro progressing into that sphere. And unless your soul resonates with that boundary, in other words, unless there is a... And this is why people talk about vibration, right? They call the interstellar boundary a certain level of vibration. My suggestion to you is forget all the vibration nonsense. It's not nonsense in the sense that it, it's, there is a vibration, there is a physical vibration when you go there, but it's nonsense in the sense that it doesn't tell you the full truth. The full truth is that it's love that you're experiencing to a certain level. And it's about your growth in love. If you just focus on that, that's a lot simpler than asking what vibration is it that I've got to work through. You know, If you just ask what level of love, what are the lessons of love that I've got to learn before I can make this transition from the third sphere to the fourth sphere, by a spirit, any spirit, by the way, who's made that transition will be able to tell you. And you'll be able to progress very, very rapidly when you work your way that, through, through that. So understand that this metaphysical stuff and we'll talk about metaphysics soon, the metaphysical stuff, if that becomes your focus, it's going to actually distract you from the truth of the universe in that everything is based around love, every bit of development that you can do. Now, for many of us, we'll feel like, wow, that's pretty good, because that's nice and simple, isn't it, don't you think? So simple that a, who could a, a child can understand. Right? Anyone can understand that. A child can experience the experience of love and understand what love is, so a child can understand the secrets of the universe. When we start going in and reading all the scientific literature and we go down all this multidimensional space and then we start reading all of the scientific stuff with physics and then we start doing the interstellar mathematical boundaries that are all these calculations that all the, all the mathematicians go down, well, it just starts getting real complicated now, doesn't it? Can you see that? And it takes us away from the truth of, the, of it. The simple truth is that it's all just progression in love. So that's a beautiful truth to remember all your life. That's the truth I've tried to remember all my life. Um, when we incarnate and say, for example, we have reached level four and we incarnate. Is there any chance that when we pass we can go to a lower level or depending on, I guess, on what we're doing on this plane? Or is the progression generally upwards? Well, firstly, your question betrays a number of different errors about the process of incarnation that we'll have to address. And we'll address those when we talk about incarnation and where we incarnate to. And you're, you're really asking a question regarding reincarnation, right? Not incarnation. When I was talking about the first, the very first incarnation that we experience, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I want to address the difference between that incarnation and reincarnation. So there's a very different answer for those questions depending on, you know, where we're coming from. But in answer to the question about whether you can degrade in condition, yes, you can. Of course, remember, I can grow in love just as much as if I make different choices, I can actually degrade in love. 
So if I choose to make a choice that causes my soul to degrade in love, I can certainly get into a worse condition. Does that make sense? I'll answer the other questions when we talk about the, reincarn the incarnation and reincarnation process. Right? So bear in mind that if you make a choice inside of yourself that's disharmonious with love, your what we will call soul condition, and I'll describe what that is shortly, degrades. And when you make a choice that's harmonious with love and you feel that choice in your heart, your soul condition expands. And to be frank with you, most of you can feel that happening, right? You feel the joy of making choices harmonious with love. You think about the different qualities that are harmonious with love. When you're generous with someone without wanting something back, how, does you, how do you feel when you do that? You feel the truth of there's more happiness in giving than receiving, right? And you feel that inside of yourself, so you just grew a bit in love. But when you make a choice out of anger and resentment to harm somebody, you know, like, uh, you know, she stole my boyfriend. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to do some things to break up that new relationship, right? So I tell some lies here and tell some lies there. Do I feel good about that, really? Like, I might be angry and I might get... But when I go back and reflect upon it and have to tell somebody else about what I've done, how does, what does it feel like then inside of myself? Usually not very good, right? We think, oh, that wasn't very nice. So we automatically have these barometers inside of us. One of the instinctual barometers is when we display love compared to when we don't. But we certainly can degrade in love. Uh, any other questions? If I come down to Harry and then across. Um. You've described these different levels of um, love. What would you have to experience to pass from one, or what would you have to feel to pass through one level to the next? Like, for instance, how would you... Well, let me describe the first, the second, the third sphere transition for you. All right, just one aspect of this transition is this. To get from the second sphere of love to the third sphere, which, remember, they are different dimensions, they're actually different places of existence, that are much happier, much more joyful, and to be frank, they are also much more beautiful in each case. To get from the second to the third sphere, I have to learn a primary lesson about love, in that love always tells the truth no matter what the consequence. Now, to describe to you how fine that is, you wake up in the morning, your wife says, how are you? You say, I feel good, when actually you're feeling quite afraid. You just lie. You are now, you are not in the, that condition of love yet. Does that make sense? If, if you, your wife asked you, oh, you know, were you out with someone last night? And you think, oh, yeah, well, we went out for work and there were some women there, but my wife's a bit jealous and she might, you know, think that there was something going on when there wasn't. And so it's better if I just don't tell her the truth, right? Because otherwise there might be an argument, she might flare up and I avoid, so I avoid her jealousy by actually saying, well, no, no, I was just at work. I'm just not in that condition of love yet, in that condition where I could make the transition between the second and the third sphere. Does that make sense? So, it, so just the condition of telling the truth to myself and to everyone else around me is the transition between the second and the third sphere. Now, how, many, how much of the earth is in that state? 
very, very few people on this planet are in that state. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can see in our own life, you know, often we just tell a little fib here, withhold the truth there, and before we know it, what we've done is we've prevented ourselves from making that transition. Now, when you make that transition, what goes through you is this amazing realisation that actually every time I'd say the exact truth as it is to absolutely every single person around me, no matter what their response is, that it gives me this freedom and it also, that there's this beautiful feeling that passes through you every time that you've honoured yourself and honoured your feelings and your emotions and honoured the truth. And you grow immensely through this transition of in, from the second to the third sphere. But what often happens is we are so afraid of other people's emotions. We are so afraid that someone won't like us. We're so afraid that some, of, of those kind of emotions coming from other people that we lock ourselves in this place where we can't progress beyond that second sphere state. And to be frank, there is very, when I say very few people on earth, historically have ever gone to their spirit world in the third sphere state. That is the truth. And you can, just for that one reason, that they haven't actually stated and lived in harmony with the truth while they're on earth all their life. Now, it may seem like a large demand, but actually, when you get into that state emotionally, it's so easy to do and so enjoyable. And every single interaction we have with every single person is truthful. And it's such a beautiful place to be when we make that transition. But the majority don't make that transition until we hit the spirit world sometime. And then we make that transition. Does that answer that question? Uh, there's a microphone coming. Thank you. Coming here this morning, it was quite uh, confused. I, I I have confused attraction. You know, I had fear. Fear. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I was very, very emotionally stirred up. Yep. How many of the rest of you felt that way? Emotionally stirred up about coming here today? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Not very many of you. <laughs> I'm impressed. And um, but coming to this issue, um, are we born loving, unconditionally loving, the first incarnation? First incarnation, the question is, are we born loving? Um, now, to answer this question, we've got to understand the difference between birth and conception and incarnation. The truth is that when we incarnate, it's not at the time of our birth. It's actually at the time of our conception or shortly after. So the question then would have to become, when I am conceived, was I conceived when, with me being in a loving state? And yes, the, just the moment before you were conceived, you were in a six-sphere natural love state. Just the moment before you were conceived. And what I'm going to do later is talk about what happened after that to make me not feel that state anymore. Does that make sense? But at the moment we were conceived, we were in that state. Because of the other question I have, do we, can we prevent um, self-reliance? And certainly we can. 
And we'll talk about all of those things when we talk about soul progression, which is coming up in the future. Today, I mean. Yep. Thank you. All right. Is there any questions more about the spheres? Any more questions about the spheres? Yep. Hey, Jay, is there a chart that you have done with the levels of love that you have to achieve to go through to each sphere? Um, no, there's no correlation uh, chart of all the different the things in love that you need to discover to go through each sphere. Because you understand that to do so would be, be present to you a whole intellectual argument. And none of the progression above the sixth sphere can happen intellectually. And in fact, the majority of the progression underneath the sixth sphere can't happen intellectually either. So you get hit with a chart with all these different things. Most of us would feel totally overwhelmed because literally there are thousands and thousands of lessons allocated to the progress of all of these in all of these spheres. We would look at that and we would go, wow, that's a pretty daunting task. Like, I don't know if I want to bite that off for the rest of my life. So we wouldn't be in the experiential zone of it. And also we would look at it and then we would try to manufacture it with our mind. And to be frank with you, the majority, the majority of people who have passed in the spirit world are trying to manufacture it with their mind and are failing because this progression is not about the mind. All progression, in fact, is not about the mind. So you know when people talk about the mind of God and growing with the mind of this and, and all of that kind of stuff? If you just cross out the word mind and put in place the word soul, you'll have a far better understanding of what's going on in the universe. Right? Because the mind is not capable of actually growing in love. You think about that for a moment. Somebody comes along, they've never experienced love all of their life. It reminds me of that, you know, the movie Tarzan, the old movie Tarzan, you know, where he's never had a relationship with another person all of his life. And then Jane comes along. <laughs> and he's going, whoa. <laughs> like that. And there's this huge reaction going on. His first experience of love. Now, just before that point, could you imagine sitting down with Tarzan and saying, well, you know, mate, the way love is, is, it, is this is what it's like. It's this and it's that, and you're trying to intellectually describe all of the things love is to them. Now, do you think Tarzan would have understood a single, single word of that at the time? No. But as soon as he felt the emotion, now, what's this emotion? You know, this emotion that just drives me. Ah. Oh. And somebody comes along and says, oh, see that emotion? That's love. That's now love. That's what you're feeling. Now he understands, doesn't he? Because he's experienced. And this is the thing with all of this progression, you will never be able to learn it with your mind. You are going to need to experience it to learn it. And that's a very important thing to remember in your life. And remember that when we talk about love, we are talking about an emotion. An emotion that our minds still really don't understand, right? We're only going to understand it at the soul level, this thing called love. It's a creepy little thing called love. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going to come to understand. By the way, I occasionally do this breakout in song, and I must apologize if it puts you off. Right? <laughs> I'm not as good as Elvis, that for sure. All right, so, um, so what we're doing is we're learning about love, you know, and, you know, the Everly Brothers sing this song, love hurts, love, you know, it's, honestly, what we think we know about love on this planet, 
is just a lot of lies. Alright? And so we need to come to discover what love really is. And we'll talk about love in a minute though. Is there any more questions about the dimensional spaces though? What's going on with the dimensions? Over here, thanks. If you can put your, leave your hand up so Anna can see. That's it. Has it? Yeah, is are the levels the spheres? Um, are they like the levels that um, Munro teaches from the Munro Light Institute in America with the focus levels? They have the same um, sort of levels, but they are for the soul's growth through experience in, this, in different stages in the soul's growth, or, or is it just um, a progress of love? an ongoing progress of love. And what I would like to do is sort of wrap up all of the different types of um, descriptions that people have given on the planet of the first seven spheres and wrap them all up and say, while many of the things are presenting about what is in each sphere and what is the state emotionally about each sphere are true, the best way to understand it is it's just about love. It's all about love. And if you understand it this way, you will progress through those states much more rapidly than if you try to do all the metaphysical things that these places, a lot of these different teachers suggest. And I'm, and I'm going to lump, and I know this might sound quite arrogant, but I'm going to lump all of those teachings into a thing called the natural love path, which we'll talk about in a minute. And they are not... My suggestion is they are not going to be the fastest way for you to progress in your life towards a life of bliss. But they can be very helpful intellectually to get you to emotionally open. But they are not always going to assist you on your everlasting progress. So, so I know that's a very general answer, but but the truth is there's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of teachings on this planet that refer to this progress, which I'll refer to as natural love progress, and it's not, you know, you've heard it all of them before in different guises, really. And if you think back on all of these different things that you've heard, they're all just the same thing presented in different language in many cases. And what I want to do is present to you a different path of progression, which is not known on the earth, although many people believe they know it. And I would like to discuss with you what that path is, what that path does and how easy it is. And remember, I'm saying it's, well, perhaps I should say it's simple to understand, but not easy to do. And in the first century, I called it the narrow way that leads to life. And what I would lump all these other things in is the broad way, right? It leads to a six-sphere condition, not as if anybody knows their Bible, the Bible actually now says Broadway leading to destruction. It's not like that at all. They all lead to a six-sphere condition, which is this condition here, but they never result in further progression after that. And my suggestion is to start giving up those ways and just focus your entire life on progressing in love and you'll rapidly transcend most of those teachings. Okay. No worries. Is there any other questions on the subject? If we come come down to so um, I came here first time in the 
I hope it's not a silly question, but yeah. I'm just wondering that AJ talks about this. And the, there's many layers. And how do I find I'm exactly which position is? Right, which position you're in is what you're asking. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And um, my suggestion is to give up that completely. To give up the desire for you to know where you are at this point. Right? Now, when I say the majority of us, the majority of the earth is in this first sphere state, I'm telling you a truth. Now, that means the majority of us in the audits are going to be in that state. Right? Now, you can see just the transition between the second and the third sphere state, most of us haven't made, right? Because how many times in a day do I withhold the truth, not tell the truth about what I'm feeling, or actually go ahead and lie about how I'm feeling? That happens quite a lot, right? So, so I might not have even reached that state, and that's quite it's easy to see. The key is to give up this. This is not, you're not being told this in order to measure yourself. And you're not being told this in order to judge yourself. Alright? So remember that. This is not a judgment. This is just a statement of fact. Alright? We won't want to judge ourselves with where we are. What we want to do is understand how we can grow from where we are to where we want to be. Now my suggestion is, all of you have the capacity to grow to what's called an eight sphere condition. And I call that the condition of one with God. Right? Now you've all heard that in different terminology and we'll discuss the different terminologies in a minute. But my suggestion is give up the idea of where you are and just focus on where you're headed. Right? And let yourself see through what you learn in love Oh, I've got to give up that. That's an error in love. Oh, I've got to give up that. That's an error in love. I've got to give up that. That's an error in love. And remember that each time you give up something, you're giving it up emotionally. It's an emotion. It's not going to be something you can work your way through with your mind. It's going to have to be something that's a real change inside of yourself, in your heart. Then you can grow. There's a mic just back there. If you keep your hand up, so it's just... Hi, AJ. How are you doing? Um, grateful to be here and grateful to meet you. If you're Jesus Christ, then I'm happy with that. <clears throat> what I'm also happy with is um, my interpretation in dimensions to you are totally different. I come from a traditional background. Yep. From the Maori people in New Zealand. Yes. And I follow those processes. Um, but we stay in a thing called suspension of judgment. Yep. Um, and we don't judge yep. religion or what you're telling me and things like that. Yep. Uh, but it is a curious thing that you talk to me about because, for want of a word, people use the word dimension, but it's never mentioned on the other side. And it's just an understanding of the human, uh, human thing because they have not the word as per se, dimension or spheres or that. And it's only necessary for knowledge on the earth. But having said that, um, yeah, I find it quite um, quite interesting what you're trying to tell me. But um, yeah, I've been to the 15th dimension. Quite an interesting place, you know. But as I say, I follow, I follow a culture line. That's always been in our in our ancestral line since the time of Lemuria, Atlantis, yep. down to Jesus Christ, and down to where I am now. But if, if there's an easy way to teach souls on the earth. A simplified way to do thinking. Interesting. 
Yeah, and so naturally, yourself and my, I can feel a lot of your teachings, and I can also feel the group of spirits who are surrounding you, uh, passing those teachings to you. And while they, their beliefs are that, that are very, still very culturally along the same lines, there are whole groups of uh, Maoris in the past who have actually dropped those teachings and now have different teachings as well. So um, my suggestion is for the groups of spirits that are with you and yourself to maybe just allow yourself for a moment to consider there might be other things that could be learned in this whole process. Because, because often what's happening for the majority of us, particularly if we're mediumistic, which you are, um, you know, when, when I mean when we can talk to other spirits or to talk to other people who have passed, what happens is we start assimilating everything from the point of view of what they know. But we, we often don't understand there's a whole group of things that they do not know. And that's the difficult thing to face in most cases. And so my suggestion is to allow yourself to look at that and just look at the fact that there might be, I know, and I'm talking now to the spirits with you actually, that there might be a whole group of things that, uh, and I've suggested to them that there are a whole group of things that they're yet to understand about their condition. Now, with regard to the terminology in the spirit world, there are many spirits who use the term spheres or dimensions, and not not on the path that you of the spirits that you've been speaking with directly, but there are many others who use that terminology. My suggestion is not to get hooked up in the terminology, but to understand that all progression is it's about love. It's all about this growing in love, and there's two types of love we'll discuss, and it's about the growing in love, really. And the only thing that's going to help this planet is the growing in love. And the only thing that's going to actually help the majority of spirits who have passed, who are still in very poor conditions, is growing in love. And so we want to focus specifically on that. And, uh, and non-judgment is one of those loving things to actually do. But often what we do is we, we feel non-judgment also means not making a choice or a decision. And they are very, very different to each other. God gave you the ability to make choices. The, God also gave you the ability to determine what the absolute truth is. And we'll talk about how God gives you that ability as well. And are there any other questions about this, Spheres? Um. Hi. Hi, Jesus. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, when you were reincarnated as Jesus 2,000 years ago, you must spell you in. Um, I didn't reincarnate as Jesus 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago was my first incarnation. So I never had a previous existence other than 2,000 years ago. And, and I can remember my life since then till now. Um, but I didn't have an incarnation before. I, my first incarnation was 2,000 years ago. And the very next time I incarnated was this existence I'm in right now, here on the planet. And I never had any other incarnations in between that time. Okay. I just want to clarify that to you. We'll talk about why that was the case as well in the, in the future, but in the future in the, of this discussion. Um, many people believe that I came to the earth 2,000 years ago in a reincarnation. <coughs> and that is not true. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that I clarified that with you. Um, time, I think it's time now for a 10-minute break so everyone can go to the loo and...
The toilets, remember, are up the back there and then we'll come back 10 minutes' time. There's always a danger at these things breaking after an hour because everyone breaks and then gets talking and then before we know it, it's a 30-minute break instead of a 10-minute break. What I'd like to do now is uh, describe to you a lot of the processes because what, what's going to happen is that we'll answer a lot of your questions that you've got coming up already by answering them by describing the entire process of incarnation and your growth and all those things. And then after I've described all of those things, you'll probably find a lot of your questions are resolved. And if any aren't resolved, then we can resolve them one by one. So let's look at the incarnation process. Now remember I'm talking about your first incarnation. Remember I said there's all these little souls of which you were one half of, by the way. Each one of these souls has masculine and feminine qualities. If you can picture them all gathering around, God's creating them. And what happens is two people on earth get together and they want a bit of action, right? And as soon as that desire is any in any couple on earth, some unincarnated souls gather around them, waiting for the process of being able to reincarnate. Or I'll say incarnate. Because remember this is your first incarnation. So I'm not talking about reincarnation, I'm talking about incarnation. What happens first? Let's say uh, they conceive during the sex act. What happens is that one of these little souls splits and they split into a half. So let's say it's the masculine part that did that first. And two little bodies were created and start to grow. And then at some time in the future, another couple get together and want a bit of action. And what happens is the second half of that soul is attracted to that couple and the bodies begin to grow. And when I say the bodies, there are two bodies that are created in the act of conception, not one. The two bodies are a material body, a physical body we'll call it, physical body, and a spirit body. Now, right at the moment, for the majority of us, our spirit body looks as bad or as good as we currently look. And for some of us, it might be worse than we currently look. And depending on our condition of love, some for some of us, it might be better than we currently look. But it, if you looked in, if you passed today. And you looked in a mirror, and yes, there are mirrors in the spiritual world, and you looked in the mirror, you would recognize yourself. That makes sense? Now, many of you may feel like you don't want to recognize yourself like this anymore, but that's too bad that we recognize ourselves generally. Now, so what happened is these two halves of the soul are now incarnated into two physical forms. Now, if... The soul itself has a wide variety of masculine and feminine traits. And the part 
or the parts that are dominantly masculine when they split into the two halves attract the male bodies to be created through the act of conception and replication of the cell structure. And the part that's a female, when it's incarnate, will actually start causing the body to generate to be a female body. And that's what happens in the process of incarnation. From the moment you are conceived, or you could say from the moment you are incarnated, you are now individualized. You now are experiencing things, moment from moment from moment. And so these are little unborn child children at this stage, sitting inside of mum's womb, and already it's experiencing. And what is it first experiencing? It's experiencing the emotional condition of its parents. So you know all of those unresolved emotions that you have in you? That little child gets bombarded with them the moment it's conceived. Does that make sense? Bombarded with them. And because many of those emotions don't feel good to even ourselves, of course they don't feel very good to the little child either. And so the little child started out in a six-sphere condition or a six-dimensional space condition of love and very, very rapidly gets harmed with a whole group of emotions from its environment. And so usually by the time a child is born, they're usually already down into a second or third sphere state by the time they're actually born, after being conceived in a six-sphere condition. And within a year or two of after being born, the child's normally down even into a lower state than that, into a high first-level sphere state generally. And the reason why is because they're getting bombarded with unexpressed emotion that they're then not allowed to express. You see what happens when a child is born and it starts crying and mummy goes, there, there, don't cry, don't cry, and all of a sudden, what's it learning? The emotion coming from the mother is, please don't cry. The child's going, oh, mummy doesn't want me to cry, so I can't cry either. Right? And so there's a whole lot of emotions that are bombarding this little child that it then suppresses because of the desires of its environment, which, of course, primarily the parents, but also all of the environment. So you think about if a, if a person of high development comes to this environment, let's say all of us here don't like to hear any truth. Let's say we're all in that state. And a person who loves truth comes and stands in front of you. How is it going to feel for them? It's going to feel like a wall of, oh, nobody wants to hear the truth, doesn't it? Can you say that? You've often done that yourself. When you walk into a room and you feel this certain energy, you call it sometimes, right? Well, it doesn't feel too good here. Something's wrong here is the feeling you often have inside of yourself if you're sensitive, right? And the child is feeling those things because it's the most at its most sensitive condition. Mary? Hi. Alan, I just thought, would you be able to tell us, now we understand we have a physical body, a spirit body and a soul, how can we understand what our soul is in differential from those things? Yep. And why, do the, why does our mother stopping us having our emotions affect our soul so much? So let's say our soul is this. Our soul is a container of emotions, passions, Desires, 
intentions, memories, which are all really experiences, aren't they? And so forth. Now, every single unexpressed emotion the mother or father or the environment feels gets bombarded at this little soul. And it enters it. And unless this little soul is allowed to completely experience that emotion, which it will probably do if it's sadness, it's going to do by crying. So it's going to cry and it seems to cry for no reason, right? And it'll be there crying, 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 because it's feeling the emotion of grief from its environment and, and it has to express it. That's the way a little child is. It has to express those emotions. So it begins to express that emotion. And what happens with the parent? The parent starts trying to want the child to shut down that grief because it's actually connecting the parent to her own or his own grief that he doesn't want to feel. And so the parent shuts down the emotion and what happens to the child? The child then gets a barrage of try, causing the child to shut down its own emotion. And so the child then shuts down its own emotion. This, you could think of the soul as the container of these things. It's the container of your emotions, your passions, your desires, your longings, your intentions. And if the soul is that, and this is what needs to develop in love, then you can see that any emotional thing that harms that soul is going to harm its developing in love. Now, there are two types of influences on that soul. There's a truth influence, emotions regarding truth, so whether it's allowed to be in truth. And when that soul is allowed to be in truth, it leaps for joy. It actually has a positive response to truth. You, when you hear truth, generally will have a positive response to truth. But then what happens is our mind clicks in and all of our doubts start rising, and then we have a far less positive experience. But right at the beginning, when we're hearing truth, we usually have a positive experience. We also have errors entering the soul in the same manner that I just described. Our environment suppresses an emotion, and so everyone in the environment gets the emotion to the maximum amount, and then they, those untruths or errors enter our soul. In the first century, I called those the sins. Does that make sense? Sin in Greek is when you're missing the mark, when you're missing the mark of perfected love. So when you sin, it's just really an error entering your soul. And it's driven often by an error that is already in your soul. And so we actually do things that harm our own soul by acting in disharmony with love. So every time I act in disharmony with love, I am actually creating something in my soul along, along one of these lines that is damaged. And it's emotional and, and, it's, and it's going to affect me emotionally. So if you could think of your soul as the container of emotions and your spirit body and material bodies are just robots that the soul uses to express itself in, different, in the different worlds, then you'll understand what the soul is. But we are actually only one half of the soul. So every person sitting here is actually one half of the soul. 
not a complete soul. A complete soul has two halves and eventually those two halves will come together. And that's where the term soul mates arise from. Does that make sense? So soul mates are the two halves of the soul splitting are soul mates. There is only one other person in this universe that is your soul mate. One other being, person. Now that person could be on earth or they could have died already and gone to the spirit world. Right? But usually soul mates incarnate within 20 to 30 years of each other. In fact, it's very rare to have them beyond that time because the amount of draw there is when a soul, half of the soul incarnates causes the other half of the soul to be attracted to it. And so there's a high desire now in the other half of the soul incarnating as well. And so usually most souls incarnate within five to ten years of each other. And it's rare to get them 15, 20 or, or maybe even 30 years apart. Although it has been known for that to occur. Now these soul mates aren't somebody you go along and say, oh, that's a nice fellow, I think I really like him, he must be my soulmate. Right? It's not like that at all. The soulmate is actually physically the other half of your soul. It's not somebody you can choose. So how do you feel about that? So much for free will choice of the soul, right? You mean, you mean that this person is the other half of my soul and I can't choose someone different? Yes. That's what I'm saying. The truth is, though, that when you develop, and we'll talk about development in a minute, the two soul halves automatically feel drawn to each other. It's an automatic process because the characteristics of the entire soul are split between the two halves. That creates a huge bond of attraction between those two halves. And because of that, the majority of people while they live on the earth do meet their soulmate. But the majority of people meet their soulmate and because of their emotional injuries don't recognize their soulmate at the time. And so what finishes up happening historically, and what we want to do is stop this from happening and start a different thing happening, but historically what's been happening is people pass from this world into the spirit world and they progress through the spirit world in different degrees of love and by the time they get to the fifth sphere, many of them now meet their soulmate again and then they start to connect because they've grown in love enough to stop looking at the physical and start looking at the soul-based stuff to actually see that there was an attraction. Right? We'll talk about how that works in a minute. So if you can see the soul as a container full of all of you, you are the container but not at the physical state and not at the spirit body state. You are actually this other state which has infinite growth available to it. You can grow infinitely in this state. At one time in your progression in the future, your physical body will disappear. And then at another time in your progression in the future, your spirit body may disappear. And what will be left is the complete soul, and we'll talk about how that works. Is there any questions about that so far that you'd like to ask? Thanks, Pete.
AJ, um, just to get some understanding uh, about the uh, original soul splitting into uh, male and female uh, parts. When you have a female uh, energy actually occupying a physical bo a male body or a male energy occupying a female body, what, what are the causative emotional uh, reasons for that? Well, firstly, um, I want to just make sure we're clear on a few issues about the bodies themselves. Um, every single half of the soul has male and female characteristics inside of itself. But remember I said it's the dominant sexual characteristic of the half that attracts the body. So if the half, this half is dominantly male, then it will attract a, a male-dominant body. So in other words, the gender, while they're living on Earth, will be male, and the gender of the spirit body will be male. The same applies for the female. So when, if this half is predominantly female, then it will attract a dominantly female form in both bodies. Now... That doesn't mean that all souls split into male-female because many souls have various, in, in their sum total of sexuality, they have a very wide variance between them. So let's, uh, some of you would have known mathematics, the mathematics at school and so forth. You've heard of the uh, distribution graph, have you? You remember that from your school days? Statistics, to statistical analysis. So if you could think of a graph like this, and on this side is the dominant female characteristic of the entire soul, not the two halves, the entire soul. And on this half is the dominant male characteristic of the entire soul, not the two halves. Then what happens is, in between a certain range, what will happen is every soul will incarnate male-female. So in between a certain range of female-male characteristics, each soul will split into a male-female form. And 80 to 90% of souls split in those forms. Right. But on this side, you can see you've got the area where the soul, the whole soul, the combined soul, is dominantly female. When that happens, when the soul splits, even though each part of the soul has still some masculine characteristics, they will attract two female bodies. So this soul over here will attract a female body when it splits. This soul over here will attract a male body when it splits. Both sides of the soul. So you can see there's only really three possible conditions for your soulmate and yourself. And that is, you're a female and your soulmate's a male. You're a female and your soulmate's a female. Or you're a male and your soulmate's a male. They're the only three possible conditions with regard to soul attraction. So that being said, basically there is God-created female homosexuality male homosexuality, if we're looking at it from a gender perspective of the earth, and also heterosexuality. From God's perspective, there is no bisexuality. Right? Bisexuality occurs because of the confusion of all the emotional injuries that we have about sexuality here on earth. And in fact, I can even think I am homosexual 
when actually it's due to emotional injuries that I have that have caused me to think that, and I can think I'm heterosexual and it actually be due to emotional injuries. Does that make sense? And if we go, wait for the mic. Is it possible with soulmates that instead of being homosexual, could they just be two brothers born together? Um, the soulmate halves always have a sexual connection. And there's a good reason for that, in that God created you eventually to end up in a permanent sexual union. And so all soulmate halves will have a sexual connection. Now, way, way, way back in the original, like when there were very few people on the planet, there were times when those two soul halves were brothers or sisters. But it's very, very rare for that to occur nowadays. What about the situation of uh, perhaps a mother and a son? And that's impossible to occur. God's made that impossible to occur. Oh. Yeah. If a mother feels that her son is her soulmate, um, in terms of they have a very strong soul connection, most of the time it is due to having very, very similar qualities and desires of the soul that they then misinterpret as that person being my soulmate. And in New Age literature and philosophy, what I'm calling a soulmate, they call a twin flame. Does that make sense? So um, what I call a soulmate in New Age literature, they call a soulmate anyone you're attracted to, really. And that's not what I'm meaning when I talk about soulmate. So a mother can certainly be attracted to her son in a non-sexual way, but attracted in a lot of other ways, but that does not make them soulmates. So you're saying it's actually something impossible? It's impossible to occur. Thank you. It's due to the distance between incarnations. Like what happens is when the first half of the soul incarnates, because of the, of the desire for the next half of the soul to incarnate now multiplies in desire, it will usually always incarnate in the same generation. That's why I said it's very, very rare for a soul to incarnate in a different generation. And the way God's made the whole structure is the incarnation process is very much part, a part of your sexuality. And as a result of that, it's a, uh, it's, it's, and when I say impossible, I don't mean it's like entirely impossible because nothing's entirely impossible due to emotional injuries. So the, the truth is on the planet today, due to emotional injuries, there are a lot of things that God didn't design to happen that now happen. So, for instance, God didn't, didn't create the nuclear bomb, right? Mankind, in a state of emotional injury, created the nuclear bomb. And God never intended that man should create the nuclear bomb. If man was in the state of love, they wouldn't have, but they did. And God's given them the free will to do it, so God's provided the laws that it can happen, but it happens because of man's desire. And the trouble with the analysing a lot of current relationships through these truths, is that you're actually looking at them through already the filter of the untruth of what's happening on earth today rather than seeing them from the truth perspective. What's happening on earth today is very much influenced by the emotional damage and injuries due to a lack of love being on the planet, not due to love being on the planet. When we're in a state of love, actually, you will find that you can actually choose which soul incarnates when you conceive. Right? For many people this doesn't happen right now, right? 
but you can actually do that. In the first century, uh, myself and my soulmate uh, made love and I chose, through my intention, we chose together, uh, through, and, and it was because of someone I met before then, we chose together who would incarnate into this little baby, that, into this newly conceived child that we created. And that person became my daughter, Sarah. So you can do that too. Is it just luck that I was incarnated to Australia as opposed to Africa? And nothing is luck. Right? There are a whole lot of spiritual, emotional, physical and, and environmental factors that influence the law of attraction of your parents that actually influence what type of soul they actually draw to them when they conceive. And it even changes with each conception as to what type of influences are occurring. So, so um, for example, in your, in your state, you were a female child attracted to your parents. And there was a whole lot of laws involved in even that attraction, that, that they had a female child at that particular time. Does that make sense? And that whole set of laws would be different with, a whole, with each new attraction. So each time a couple even makes love, there are a whole separate set of emotional conditions going on for that particular event, and that creates a whole different set of attractions. So it's not luck that anything occurs. It's all based on the law of attraction, but not on your law of attraction. It's based on a mixture of your personality being needed by that couple to trigger certain emotions in those couple, that couple that they're denying. Now, unfortunately, what happens is the couple has the baby, the baby starts triggering the couple's emotions, and then the couple suppress the child's emotions and, and maybe even beat it or abuse it or whatever and suppress their experience of the emotions the child is triggering. But the truth is that every single child incarnated is attracted because of the mixture of the personality of that child being needed by the parents to work their way through their condition and work their way through their desires and emotions that are both harmonious and out of harmony with love. So it's a very mathematical and exact thing. God actually knows, and I don't know by the way, but God knows who will incarnate to every single couple. Due to the emotional injuries and emotional condition and their desires and all of the law of attraction events that are going on for that couple. So it's a, it's a very complicated process, but simple in a way in that you can override it by your desire. Right? So once you're aware of it, you can start desiring things in a different manner. And this applies, by the way, with a lot of the things that happen on earth. Currently, a lot of the things happen on earth are automatic. You know, they're automatically happening without our awareness. But when you become aware of what's going on at the soul level and you start exercising a different soul desire because you've cleared away emotions that prevent you from doing so and you've actually enabled desires that allow you to do so, your desires start to build. And when those desires build, a whole different set of events can occur because you're now utilising the laws of the universe in a conscious manner. And that's part of what I want to talk to you about is utilising the laws in a soul-based conscious manner, not in an intellectual way. Many of you have been taught to do it in your mind, right? What I want to do is help you get away from that and into the actual power of creation, which is all about 
the feelings and emotions and everything, the expression of the soul. Down the front here, and then, and then Harry. Um, recently, I saw a documentary where children were convinced they were in the wrong body and wanted to have a, a sex change. Yep. Um, yeah, what's that about? The majority of people who are convinced that they want to have a sex change are being heavily influenced by spirits and due to the emotional injuries that have been come into the child from the parent. So it's actually the parent's unhealed emotion that's causing an attraction to a spirit of an opposite gender to the child and the child then believes itself to be of that gender. And almost all of these kind of sex change things occur due to spirit connection. So it's, the problem with a lot of the things that are happening on earth today are occurring because we are out of so far out of harmony with love that, we, that, that we're attracting all sorts of spirits in all sorts of conditions. Now, to give you an example of this particular example, let's say I'm a spirit and I pass over and I'm a male, but I have huge injuries about my whole life being male. Right? Those injuries might include my was, I was abused by my mother, sexually abused by my mother. I was, I was always told that I was effeminate. Right? I was always treated like with anger and abuse from other males. So all my life on earth, basically, I was tormented for being who I was, an effeminate male. So I pass. Now, let's say one of the parents have a homophobic emotion within themselves that they haven't released, and they have a male child, oh, sorry, a female child. This spirit who wants to be, doesn't want to be male themselves, wants to be a female. Right? And there's a law of attraction established between this spirit and the person on earth, the newly created child on earth. And that spirit will be attracted to that child and heavily influence that child in a certain direction with regard to sexuality and gender and may even convince that child that it's not of that particular gender itself. And that child may eventually, when it grows up, go through a sex change operation because of that connection with the spirit. So before you do anything permanently to your body, the rule is find out whether you have spirits attached to you causing you to have certain beliefs and, uh, and try to find out underneath of that what emotion inside of yourself creates that attraction. Work through that in love of yourself. Work through that. Get out the other side of that. If you still believe yourself to be in the wrong body, then you may decide what you want to do with that. But don't make decisions without being fully aware of what's going on. And so it's very important to understand that the majority of us here are daily influenced, in fact, hourly and even minutely influenced by spirits. Many times when I'm talking, you'll notice a certain subject pop up and half of you feel like going to sleep. Right? You're being influenced by your spirit friends who don't want you to listen to that particular subject right at that moment. Or it could be that I'm boring. Anyway, let's assume it's the first one, right? I want to assume it's the first one. Um, 
So a lot of times what happens, and I've seen this happen in groups where a person puts up their hand, asks me a question, they're fully immersed. As I'm telling them the answer, I can see them shutting down. And five minutes later, they're asleep in the audience. That same person who was fully engaged just moments before. And all the time I could just see this little spirit, when I say a little spirit, often they're not that little, but the spirit influencing them, causing them to shut down, not wanting to hear a certain thing. Now, why do spirits do that? We'll talk about that in a minute, why they do that. Oh, I said uh, Harry was next to me. But go on. Hello, AJ. Hello. I'm just wondering, how does the IVF system work in this? Sorry, how does the IVF system work with this? Um, it's been a question I've answered before, actually, in quite a number of uh, presentations. Um, with, with difficulty, can I say, this is why a lot of uh, IVF doesn't take, what they call take, is because there's a lot of things going on emotionally. Firstly, why doesn't a couple conceive in the first place? It's because of specific emotions in the mother and father that the conception is not taking place. So a lot of people then say, oh, but no, it's to do with sperm count, and it's to do with this, and it's to do with that. No, it's not, I'm sorry. It's actually to do with specific emotions that created those effects. Right? And some of those effects are a low sperm count, or even no sperm, maybe, or you know, the egg not releasing, or all sorts of things can go on due to emotional injuries. Most of them are intergender-based emotional injuries. And so the couple not conceiving in the first place is often due to an emotional injury. Many of you have heard of couples not conceiving, they go through a whole IVF program, they conceive a child, and then nine months later they conceive another one. Why did that happen? Because certain emotional injuries got released during those two times, and that's why that happened. And emotional injuries are very specific about what they attract every single time. So if we want a child, we say we want a child, and we're not attracting a child... It's because of an emotional injury inside of us that is not attracting a child. Assuming, of course, we're making love and having sex. Uh, then, of course, if you're not having sex and you want a child, well, that's a different thing. You know, there's a different set of attractions there. Um, one of them is you don't want to have sex, obviously, and you need to adopt. But, <laughs> but, but I'm talking about the normal relationship thing going on. So that being said, a child who go, a child is conceived through IVF still is conceived through the emotional condition of the parents who long for it. Does that make sense? So it's still governed by the same laws and the same principles. But the reason why many don't conceive is the same... why, why many don't take, if you like, is, is the same reason why the couple can't conceive in the first place. Because what's going on might be for the woman or the man that they're actually investing a lot of their emotions in having a child and that they want to have a child for some unhealed emotional reason within themselves. And many children incarnating feel repelled by that emotion. Does that make sense? Well, you imagine, if you have a job before you start, many of you have been born and had a job before you began, and that job was to love your mummy or love your daddy. Right? And it's a terribly oppressive emotion. And it's an emotion that causes the rejection of the incarnation of children. And it also is the same emotion, similar types of emotions that cause miscarriages, of course. Those kind of emotions 
are felt at all sorts of times that cause miscarriages and lack of conception. Understand that everything that happens, happens because of a soul-based emotional cause. It's very powerful to understand that. Now, Harry was next, I think, wasn't he? And then we go up the back. I've just about forgotten my question now. Sorry, Harry. Um, I think earlier on you said when a guy and a girl get together, yep. you have a bunch of souls floating around looking, you know, waiting to see what happens. Uh, uh, they're attracted by the act of desire, or by the sexual desire right. um, expressed in both So is there like a cue? And, and how do yeah. they, how do they like decide... How do they decide, like, do they have a little sort of, do they flip a coin? How do they decide which soul you know, actually decides, gets the job? So. The soul doesn't decide, the soul coming in doesn't decide who gets the job. The soul coming in that will get the connection will be the soul that's the exact personality requirement for those two parents at that particular moment. That's what's going to come in at that particular time. And so there is a queue of souls who match the requirements, if you like, but there will be one of those who match the requirements to the most perfect degree, and that particular soul, or half of the soul, remember, will be the one that is incarnate into that body. We go up there, thanks. AJ, um, I'm curious about autism. So if uh, parents have emotional damage and there's an autistic child, do they clear their damage? Does that child have a choice to be unautistic? Is your mic on? Can you just... Okay. Yeah. Can you, you ask it? the question again now? That... Yeah, um, I'm curious about autism. So yeah. if parents have emotional damage and they clear that damage, does the child then become unautistic? Yes. Wow. Yes. You can experiment what? with that if you want. And <laughs> I'm sure you will want if you have an autistic child. And... What happens for an autistic child is that there is so much emotions coming to the child that it can't determine the difference between the emotions coming to it and its own emotions. And so what it starts doing is expressing moment by moment the emotions coming to it rather than its own emotions. In other words, it has so, because of its sensitivity, it has a very large difficulty in determining its own self-awareness. Now, when the parents release different emotions that cause this barrage of emotions coming to the child, what will happen, and it's a very sensitive child already, obviously, the more, you'll notice actually over the last 20, 30 years, years, children are much more sensitive. This is a growing fact because as mankind's condition rises in love, generally, then the children coming have less damage in love so therefore they're less suppressed, right? So a child who's autistic has, has, you know, is a very sensitive child who's been incarnate into an environment and it's just feeling a barrage of emotions from its environment and once you, as parents, release those emotions, the child will no longer be autistic. There's, a, there's some couples who have already started doing that and they've had people who they've been with for years saying, what are you doing now, what's going on? And they say, oh, we're dealing with our emotions. No, I don't believe you. <laughs> and, you know, but the child is changing, the child, children are changing rapidly as a result of them dealing with their own emotions. And if we can bring the mic down. 
Hello. Since quite a while, I tried to ask you about Osho. About Osho. Osho. Did you ever hear about Osho? Bhagwan. Bhagwan. He's a he's a master in India. Right. Okay. Osho. You must understand. Just because I'm Jesus, I don't know six billion people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You must understand that. Do you know six billion people? <laughs> no, so I don't know six billion yeah. people. So, you, yeah. like some of them, I do know. So yep. he's very famous. Yep. And um, no worries. And okay, um, I, I really experienced myself every time I wanted to ask you about him, mm-hmm. and because he got killed from the Americans, maybe yep. you heard about this. Uh, no. <laughs> but go on. Please. I want to ask you about Osho. There is a spirit around me who stops it. It's quite amazing for me to watch, and I have to really make that effort. So, what's the spirit who is around you that stops the asking? Yeah. What are they feeling? Yeah, I feel my heart is beating, and uh, so what's the feeling I, you my, have? I, I, I like to ask in what sphere he is, but maybe you don't know. But, but can you can I ask you what your feeling is? Can you can you identify yeah. that feeling? What is that? Yeah. The feeling I shouldn't ask. Why? Why shouldn't you ask? Because in 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 that community there was a lot of uh, beautiful things happening, like meditation and self-realization and yeah. therapy and and but there was a lot a lot of sexual activities. Right. And can and you see the, why the spirit doesn't want you to ask? Yeah. Because the spirit the, doesn't want you to know the truth of what was going on. Yeah. Why I, wouldn't the spirit want you to know what the truth is? Yeah. Maybe because I don't want to know it. Because the spirit yeah. was involved in the sexual activity. Yeah. And I, if I, I say the truth to you and it gets known what was going on, then all of the people may no longer do the sexual activity that they were doing, and then all of the spirits who were invested in that sexual activity, yeah. what will, where will they be? Yeah, it's Frustrated. Very, Sexually, they will be frustrated. Um, can you ask through a mic? Always through the mic. Yeah. Sorry. Um, we can play the two. Sorry. I was just saying, are you implying that there's something wrong with that sexual activity? There's, no, I'm not implying there's something wrong with sexual activity. What I'm implying is that there's something wrong with sexual activity that you're not consenting to and knowing what you're consenting to. Are you saying in this case? Yes, this case... The people involved in the sexual activity have no idea that actually the spirits are influencing them to have sex with each other so the spirits can actually enjoy the sexual activity. With respect, isn't that an assumption on your part, though? No, it's not. But you can feel it is. But it's just a statement. No, it's not. Like, I know what's going on. I can feel through the spirit why she doesn't want, the spirit doesn't want... I feel it very strongly. You can feel that, right? It was just for me. And how does the spirit feel about you knowing this now? It's feeling I know it's the truth. Yep. So the spirit knows it's the truth. And I probably. But how does he feel? Oh, he doesn't like it. Okay. Why doesn't he like it? Understand it. Why doesn't he want it? Want you to know it? Uh, Because I've been involved in it. Yes. You're one of the people who were chosen to be involved in it through some emotional injuries. Yes. 
And see, what happens is the spirits, and I just, if I talk, like, when I answer a question, by the way, I'm answering it based on what I know. If I don't know, I will actually tell you I don't know. Alright? What's happening is, around every person, remember, is a group of spirits. So here is the physical dimension. So this is the physical dimension. Here is the spirit dimension. Now these spirits are all in the first sphere of the spirit dimension. You follow me? They're all in the lower regions of the first sphere of the spirit dimension. What you would classify as the hells, or you would have heard of as the hells. It's not a fiery torment place. It's not a place of, you know, like Dante's Inferno. It's not like that at all. What it is, is a place where people have yet to heal their unloving emotions. And their condition reflects the emotion, and the location where they live reflects the emotion. So there are actually terrible, terrible places in the spirit world. You, some of you have seen the book, what, uh, the movie What Dreams May Come? Yeah, just yeah. In the depths, remember he goes into hell to get his wife out of hell from the, from the suicide, and he passes through many different illustrative pictures of the hell, and to be frank, there are places that look exactly like are depicted in that movie. Now, these spirits are in the very low regions of this first sphere, and they do not want you to change. They do not want you to change because they are living vicariously through you in order to get some of their unhealed emotions satisfied. One of the largest unhealed emotions on this planet are emotions involving sexuality, right? where we have a lot of confusion, a lot of shame, a lot of all these kind of things, or we have a lot of the opposite type of emotions, where we're highly sexual, we don't care who it's with, what, and, and, or anything like that, we're just highly sexual all the time, and that is another emotional injury. Now, what a person does in the spirit world, and you'll see this happening a lot on earth, where... People are attracted to spirituality but often finish up being involved in sexual activities. Right? Now, while certainly part of your soul progression is going to be about healing your sexual injuries and certainly God designed you to have sexual activity, God also designed a whole group of laws of love surrounding it. And whenever you break those laws of love, certain things will occur. Now, one of the things that occur on earth is that in the guise of spirituality, sexuality gets expressed. And when I say in the guise, it's often said, oh, you know, love means free love, means loving everyone, and that means having sex with everyone. And so what we finish up doing is having sex with everyone because we're all freely loving each other. That's not what God designed. Now, you don't have to trust me. You can just find it out for yourself by doing the opposite and see where it takes you and see where it fulfills you and see whether you feel loved from it all. And you'll soon find out that it actually isn't a loving space. But what's happening is these groups of spirits are here in the spirit world, lots and lots of them, all with unresolved sexual issues. There are many men, by the way, in the spirit world who were sexual predators here on earth and remain sexual predators in the first sphere of the spirit world. And what they do is they connect with women, and what, what is one thing women are generally attracted to? Spirituality. Agreed? You go to an audience where, like here it's a mixed audience, but generally when you go to an audience where there's spiritual things being presented, 80% of the people are 
women generally, right? So a lot of women get attracted to it. And then they're taught, often by a man, by the way, that this free love idea and free sex idea and so forth, and what's going on is that these spirits in very low conditions are using that to influence you in order so that they can vicariously experience the sexual act through you. That's what they're doing. By the way, alcoholic spirits do exactly the same thing. So people who are alcoholics on earth, who love their drink when they're on earth, pass in the spirit world, there's no drink there. So what do they do? They just connect to a person on earth who's a drinker and they drink and drink and drink. And this is why the person can be totally oblivious to everything going on inside of themselves. They don't even know where they are, what they're doing or anything. They can't even remember last night. And yet when they ask a friend, yeah, you were still upright, still plugging away there, mate, you know? And the reason why is because the spirit was just keeping them pouring down the spirit, like two different types of spirit, but the spirit was just helping them. Now, most spirits in a first fear condition do not want you to know this and and would rather that you never found out about it. And can you understand why? Because they have a vested interest in you continuing to do it. They have a vested interest in it. So many of us in our life have had these experiences where we weren't conscious of what we were doing. A lot of times it's with alcohol or with drugs, but oftentimes it's also with sex and other experiences. And most of the time it's because of the heavy influence of spirits in a very, very poor state. How do you disconnect from them? The same way you progress. By actually loving yourself, working your way through the injuries you have about love, and as that happens, you work your way through the injuries you have about sex, and as that happens, these spirits feel, oh, I can't connect with her anymore. I'll go and find somebody else who I can influence into, into doing this with. And they, and they often do because there is a large variety of people who have these injuries on earth. Now, you will find that there are many sexual predators in so-called spiritual circles. And the reason why is because these spirits, because of the other practices, you know, the practices of meditation and other practices, find it easier to connect to the person when they're doing those practices. And because the actual soul condition of the person isn't growing that causes a repulsion of those practices, those practices are attracted and then performed. Thank you, Aitya. This is so profound. (laughs) Now, how is the spirit with you feeling? Hmm. He's gone, hasn't he? He's been with you a long time and he's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why is because he's saying the penny's dropping with you and he can see the penny dropping with you and he can see that he's not going to be able to influence you to do this anymore and he's like, he'll just find another person he can do, do it with. He wasn't interested in you in any other way than to help you have sexual activities so that he could fulfill his own desires. Uh, I need to say something about that because I've been monogamous in seven years now. Yeah. But he must have been still somewhere. Still with you. Still, because I had that uh, for quite a while now, no sex. Yep. So he's been trying to influence you back into that. I felt all said, no, I don't want to. I mean, my 
my partner suffered a little bit the last two years. Yeah. But there was something within me was no. And you will find you will pro what you'll probably find now is you you work through this issue and you'll feel like having sex again because at the soul level you so already you already <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's great <laughs> you will <laughs> you already knew that something was wrong here and that's why you withdrew from it a bit so. Yeah. Connect back with yourself when you're making love. Don't get out of body. Don't do those out of body things that you were taught to do when you're doing it. And you'll find that it'll be more of a real experience and, and there might be emotions you need to work your way through. The problem is that a lot of spiritual practices on earth are designed by spirits to help you be more connected to them so that they can use you more. And so you need to be careful of that. They are just as influential, these spirits, and uh, they, remember, every influence on you is emotional. Right? Wouldn't it be a great idea if someone opened up a clinic in that low-level sphere for those poor degenerative uh, <laughs> spirits? I mean, it's a great business opportunity to help those spirits out so they don't pick on people like you anymore. Yeah, spot on, Harry. We're going to open clinics in the future for exactly that purpose, to be frank, honestly. The reason why is because higher spirits have find it very, very difficult to connect to these spirits to stop them doing what they're doing. You know, if a person's rampantly doing what they're doing, it's very, very hard to influence them, right? To stop doing what they're doing, free will and everything. But what happens is if a person from the earth talks about them and exposes what they're doing to them, and talks about how they can do it differently, then there is a high likelihood these spirits will change and do something different. And so what we need on earth is a large group of mediums who understand the complete divine truth about the universe and understand how to assist these spirits to go from their condition to a new condition. And when they do that, they will disconnect from people on the earth and do you know that the majority of our fatal diseases are even caused by this spirit connection? So lots of diseases will automatic, automatically stop occurring and a lot of influence like sexual-based influence and so forth will automatically occur. Sorry? And AIDS is uh, caused through, again, emotional injuries. So we'll talk about the emotional injuries of all sorts of diseases at another time. But all, remember, just remember the one truth, and that is that all diseases, all, and, and I'm going to be very specific here, every single event that's ever happened in your life Every single thing you did, every single disease you contracted, every single sickness you had, every single bone you broke, all happened because of an emotional cause. And that created a law of attraction that created the event. Understand right. that, then we start to understand the power of changing the condition that creates those things. In other words, addressing the causes. On earth today, we are addicted to dealing with effects. Like, how popular is alcohol on earth? In Australia? Very popular, right? Why? Because we're addicted to dealing with the effects of stress and pressures in a way that calms us down. We feel that we've still got to do our life 
And so what we do is we pick up habits along the way that help us deal with our life. But the truth is we're not dealing with the underlying emotional reasons why we do that or the emotional reasons why our life is the way it is. When we deal with those, everything gets ironed out and you no longer feel like doing things a certain way. Like Most people are not aware that, for instance, coffee is an antidepressant, right? Most people are not aware of that. So what happens when we have coffee? Like if we're addicted to coffee, we have three, four drinks a day, we're actually using our coffee to avoid emotions. Right? Now, you notice it. You go off with coffee for, coffee for one month if you're addicted to coffee and see where your emotions go. Right? Now, the same applies to a lot of smoking, right? We're addicted to smoking usually for particular emotional reasons. The proof is you go off the cigarettes and you find out how good things are the next 14 days. You'll start feeling a lot of those causal emotions. And you'll start, if you allow yourself to notice them, you, you can address them. Understand that spirits around you are connecting to you not from any other thing than your law of attraction. Your law of attraction is governed by this thing called soul condition. And soul condition is the sum total of all of your experiences and all of your denied emotions and all of your expressed emotions, all of your desires, all of your passions, all of your longings, all of your emotional errors and injuries about love sum together to create your soul condition. That soul condition is like a huge magnet going out into the universe and it creates your life. Your whole life is governed by this, your soul condition. You even being here today is governed by your soul condition. Everything in your life is governed by this soul condition, all the attractions. Now, if you can understand that, you can understand how to change your life much more rapidly than trying hard to change your life from a day-to-day process, right? As long as you understand what is involved in your soul condition. Spirits love you being with unhealed emotions. Now, many of you have experienced a time when you've got into a rage and all of a sudden it's just like, it's now a real, like, violent rage that you... How many of you experienced that? I know I have on a few occasions in this life. In that state, a spirit's just connected to that anger that you're, that's suppressing an underlying grief and then expressing his own rage via your rage. And it does feel like sometimes, doesn't it, that you're actually out of control, that somebody else is controlling you in that state. And the, tr- the truth is that generally, whenever you feel like you're out of control, generally there is someone else controlling you or influencing you, and it's a spirit who is connecting to your denied emotional state. If we can have Mike just there. I ask you about soulmates again, please? Yep. Is, um, is there any questions firstly about the spirit interaction that people want to ask first? Because then we'll go back to the soulmates. Spirit interaction? Questions? Spirit interaction question? Good. Yeah. And then we'll come back to your soulmate question. And you need to use the mic. Uh, can one um, establish a healthy connection with the spirit? Yes, you can establish healthy connections with spirits. So there are many spirits who are in the higher dimensions of spirit world who would love to connect with you, 
and teach you a lot of emotional truths. And every single one of you is capable of listening to them if you deal with certain emotional injuries. So there are, there are literally billions of spirits in the higher spheres who would love to connect to you and talk to you about all sorts of matters. But you're not going to connect to them easily unless your condition gets near their condition or you at least start understanding some of the moral principles and laws that affect that connection. So a working process. So yeah, the more we progress spiritually, the better the connection with spirits at a higher level are going to be. Good. All right. Now back to that about the sign of that question. You'll have to hold it nice and close there. Um, when two people meet and they're they feel they're soulmates, mm -hmm. and they um, connect, um, then for some reason things go wrong with them, um, and often I'm just thinking the man um, becomes abusive, and um, the relationship uh, becomes very difficult, then the woman may leave, and then but often the person still loves that person and they will continue to go back. Uh, why is that, that sometimes people can love someone who's really abusive mm -hmm. and um, they go back into the same situation time and again? Time and again? It's due to unhealed self-love. Always. Doesn't matter whether the person's your soulmate or not. If a person's treating you badly, you would never go back until they've actually dealt with the underlying emotional reason why they want to, and they'd never do it again if they'd done that. Until that point, if you go back, you have still got inside of yourself love of self issues that need to be healed. So allow them to be healed. Work on the love of self side of things. It's unhealed self-love is the greatest creator of most emotional pain. And most of us have that emotional pain because of our childhood. We learnt to not love ourselves. We had to do everything for everyone else, not ourselves and so forth. All right. Um, what is the time, by the way? 4.30? Because yeah. um, there's a lot more to cover. <laughs> um, do you, do, you, do you mind if I keep going for a little bit more before we have a break? Okay. What I want to do is just describe to you what happens in your progression, if I can. Imagine these are spheres. Now, I'll draw them a bit tighter together this time because remember there's lots and lots of them. We're up to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, seven, eight, and then we go above eight to, I'll just saw those lines in there, and there's a 20. First sphere up there. Right. Remember, we, trans we transcend each sphere by growing in love. Okay? But there are two types of love we can grow in. One type is the love that you have that comes from within yourself. Okay? Now, I call that Natural, oh, one line too high, two lines too high. 
I call that natural love. You can think of natural love as the love that comes from within you that can be developed and shown and expressed to everything and everyone around you. In other words, love from within you that you express to your complete environment. Now, when we grow in natural love, we are building this love that's inside of ourselves. But there's another type of love we can grow, and that's the divine love. Now, most New Age paths and everything will say that the divine love is this divine spark within you. And I'm going to say to you that there is no divine spark in you. Until you ask God for that to occur, then there's one. You see, divine love, the reason why this is the case, is divine love is God's love. God has an emotion of love too. And God's love can be expressed and given to you. You follow me? That is not your love being developed, although you will develop in your love as you receive it. It is love that comes expressly from God only. And I and no other person on this, in this universe can give you this love. Not a single person in this universe can give God's love via themselves to you. God's love can only enter your soul through one connection. And that's what I want to describe to you, is this connection that it can enter you. But firstly, what I want to do for a bit is just to describe to you the different types of love and how they're characterised. When we're developing in natural love, we become very intellectual. And in the spirit world, the spirits call themselves grown-ups, right? In the sense that they are grown up intellectually. They have super, super minds, super superior intellect, right? On the divine love path, we grow on an emotional level. So on the natural love path, we have a tendency to go into intellectual intelligence, on the divine love path, we forget about intellectual intelligence. And what we do is we go for emotional intelligence. Right. Now, many of you might know already that when you're emotionally intelligent, you're automatically intellectually intelligent. Right. And that is something that happens on the divine love path. You automatically become more intelligent as you grow because of the emotions that impact upon intelligence get released. There are literally emotions that impact on every part of your life, including how rapidly you respond to intellectual stimuli. And as you release your emotions, that becomes more and more rapid. On the natural love path, if we could call it, when we're growing in natural love, and by the way, every single religion on this planet almost is growing in natural love. 
and almost every single spiritual thing that you can hear from the spirit world is about natural love. And the reason why is because the divine love spirits all exist higher than the natural love spirits, and so therefore for us to hear them, we've got to already be in a certain state to learn the truths of them. But anyway, let's have a look at other things. What are some other things that are different on both paths? On the natural love path, I often say, I am God. Right? We become God. You see this a lot in the New Age movements, right? I am God. On a divine love path, I am God's child. And I forever remain such. And I don't ever view myself as God. So all those things that are said in the Bible that I somehow viewed myself as God or a part of God in the way that it's been interpreted nowadays are all untrue. I said I became at one with God, which is a totally different thing than saying that I am God. And every single being in this planet and every when I say being, every single soul, human soul on this planet, and every single soul that has passed over has the same ability as me to become at one with God. And there are literally now millions of spirits in the at one with God state. Many of you have heard of it as Christ consciousness. Well, please understand that the words are bandied around here on earth so much now that they all think they're Christ conscious, but they're not emotionally there. Right? So they don't really know what Christ consciousness is yet. When you are emotionally there, then you'll understand the difference between what's being said to you and the state of being Christ conscious. We'll talk about Christ consciousness in a minute, where it happens. Right? What other things do we notice on the natural love path? We're intellectual, we say, I'm God. There is literally thousands, and I've probably say millions, so let's millions, <laughs> of paths. You know how you hear people say, oh, yeah, I'm on my own path. Yep, no worries. It's one of the millions of natural love paths. Agreed? Like, I'm on my own path, I'm on my own personal truth. I'm on now, all of those statements are based of, are statements we would make when we're on the natural love path of which there are millions. When we're on the divine love path, there is the one way. It's the way of the heart, the one way. Right? I called it the narrow way, the narrow path. There is one path to it, one that we've got. And everyone goes, oh, here we go again, you know. <laughs> Somebody's saying that they are the only way they go... Oh, you know, and throw up their hands. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. I can't help the truth. All I can do is present it. It's a beautiful way because, you know, it's not even mine. Whose is it? Ah, it's God's. God created this way, the one way. God created it. God wants to teach you it. Does that make sense? You don't need me to learn it. You need God to learn it. That's how you, in fact, learn it. There's one path. 
Okay? On the natural love path, you'll find that when you, after you get on the divine love path and are really on it, and start receiving divine love, and we'll talk about that process soon, once you're on the divine love path and you're receiving divine love, what will happen a lot is you'll start to recognize another person who's received it. Because what it does is it brings the people together who are all on the same path, even though they have a lot of different backgrounds. So the truth is you can be a Catholic and receive divine love. You can be a Muslim and receive divine love. You can be a New Age spiritualist and receive divine love. But you're going to have to give up your false beliefs about love to do it. That's the only way. That's the one way. And this one way, in the spirit world, in the eight sphere and above, there are literally millions of different types of religious formats all represented, but they no longer have any of those religious formats. But do you know in the sixth sphere of the spirit world, sphere number six in the spirit world, there are still literally thousands of religions? There are many Catholics who have modified their Catholic beliefs to bring it more in harmony with natural love and they're now still Catholics in the sixth sphere. There are many Muslims who have modified all of their natural, all of their beliefs in harmony with natural love and they're in the sixth sphere and even the leader of the Muslim religion who profited it, which was Muhammad, is in the sixth sphere himself. Or, there are many Buddhists who have followed the natural love path of Buddhism and are now in the sixth sphere. And in fact, Buddhist, Buddha himself is in the sixth sphere. But then there's other people like Gandhi who found the divine love path and he was a Hindu. Now, he's not a Hindu anymore because the beliefs of the Hindu system is not, does not coincide with what he's learned about God's love. But he's in the 17th sphere. Now, the reason why these things occur is because many of the people who teach certain things on earth become addicted to those teachings and they don't want to feel their connection with God. What they do is they feel what they imagine to be God. And to be frank, we can fool ourselves into all sorts of states, including I can fool myself into being Jesus. All right? You can fool yourself into all sorts of states too. You're going to have to be very, very honest and open and frank and really honest with yourself if you want to connect to God, though, because with God you can only maintain a connection as long as you're in truth. And I'm not talking about your truth or my truth. With God you can only maintain a connection to God when you're in God's truth. And that's a big difference to being in my truth or in your truth. Can you see that? So on the divine love path, what happens? We can progress above the sixth sphere, but on the natural love path, we cannot. There are literally billions of spirits on the natural love path who have perfected their natural love, the love that they express from within themselves. They have perfected that love to the point of the sixth sphere. They've been there for thousands of years and they're having a wide variety of experiences. And the dimensional space of the sixth sphere is expanding laterally because of those experiences. They are creating planets, they are creating solar systems, they are doing all sorts of very powerful things that you can't even imagine perhaps right now, but they are having a lateral experience of the universe. They believe themselves to be growing, but they are stagnant in their own progression at the soul level. On the divine love path, you progress beyond the sixth sphere. 
and you enter a sphere of transition, which is called the seventh sphere. The seventh sphere is the sphere of transition between the, the, the human soul and the divine soul. And when you make the transition between the two souls, you enter this experience, which is called the new birth. You, if you were a Christian, would have heard it as being born again. In the first century, I said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the seventh above the eighth sphere. I call this area the kingdom of man, and I call this area above the eighth sphere the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God because the only people that can be there are the people who have received divine love to the point where their soul has actually been physically transformed into a new creature and they experience this new birth. And when you experience the new birth, a whole lot of new capabilities come to you that you don't have before in your own soul. Your soul grows and expands into a new condition, into a new being. Question up the back there? If you can keep your hand up, Patrice. AJ, I was just wondering what the benefits of spiritual hospitals are in regards to over in South America. I don't know if you've heard of them. And where their spirits are or what's happening in that regard. Can we stay on topic for the moment, though? Sorry. Is it, no, it's not really related. I can answer the question, but, uh, but I feel I'd like to try and stay on this topic if we can. Do we all at some stage down the track end up in new birth? No. The new birth has to come from a decision inside of yourself to choose to receive God's love into your soul. It's not an intellectual choice either. It has to be an emotional choice, a longing for God's love from within. When I refer to prayer, that's what I'm talking about. Prayer is just a longing for God's love to enter your soul. There's only three things you'll need on this path, three things only. You don't need me, you don't need anybody else on this path. You need three things only. First thing, a longing for God's love to enter you. That's the first thing. And I mean a longing, not just, oh, I think I'd like to have God's love enter me, and oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean a longing, a like real deep, fervent desire within yourself. You need that. You will also need a longing for God's truth to enter you. So that's the second thing you'll need, a longing for God's truth. In other words, I have to give up all of my errors emotionally. So if I have a belief about love that love sacrifices itself, I need to give up that emotion. If I have a belief about love that love doesn't engage in sex, I have to give up that emotion. If I have a belief about love that love always means doing what the other person wants. I need to give up that emotion. If I have a belief about love, that love means that I will always get what I want, I have to give up that emotion. There are so many, I could list a hundred emotions, thousand maybe, or even more emotions that many of us may have that we have to give up on that path. So I have to have a longing for God's truth to enter me emotionally, not, not intellectually, emotionally. When God's truth enters me emotionally, I will automatically do what is loving. I won't have to try. 
I won't have to try and think, oh, what's loving? What's loving in this situation? Oh, I don't know, I don't know, I'm going to look confused. We won't feel like that at all in this state, right? In this state, what we do is we, we know, we don't even have to think, we know what loving would do. And we automatically feel drawn into doing it. Does that make sense to everyone? All right. Then, the third thing that we need is a quality that is the most neglected quality here on the planet. And it's the quality of humility. I want to define humility. Humility is the passionate desire to experience fully all of your own emotion without blame, judgment or condemnation of others. That's the three things we'll need. Longing for God's love, longing for God's truth and humility. When you have those things, you will guaranteed progress on the divine love path. Now, I say three things, not very much to remember, hey. You try putting it into practice in your day-to-day life. And you'll find actually, wow, at the very first moment I just, you know, said some untruth. Well, I'm straight away out of heart. You try it in the break. In the break, you know, when somebody snaffles that cake that you wanted. Right? <laughs> If you're in truth, you would say, I wanted that cake. <laughs> Wouldn't you, if you felt that? And then you go to yourself, all right, what's my emotion? Oh, it's an emotion of missing out. I feel like I'm missing out on that cake. And then you'll, right at that moment, if you're in truth, you'll feel that emotion in a childlike way. Because that's another thing about these two paths. See, on this path, on this path, you're adult-like. On the natural love path. On the divine love path, you are childlike. So you go, oh, <laughs> I missed out on that cake, isn't it terrible? And away you go, right? If that's how you felt in that moment, you would do that. If you are in that state. And what's going to happen on this planet is that some people, and then eventually quite a few people are going to get in this state, and you'll see it in action in your day-to-day life. And you'll be amazed about how you can live your life that way in the world that we're currently living in, which is very, very different. The truth is that when you get into that state, you are the most powerful creator that you could ever be because everything is driven by desire and emotion. Everything, absolutely everything. And once you recognize the power of that state, you'll love it. You won't want to give it up for anything or anyone. right? So if I came along and said, ah, oh, no, nah, no, nah, you know all that stuff I said about the divine love stuff, you know, ah, oh, no, no, you follow me instead and we'll go off on this tangent over here. Just say, what? What? Why would I want to do that for? Because you're already experiencing the state of complete connection with God. It's not a religion. It's not like something that you've got to follow with rules, although you will in your heart, feel what's right and what's wrong instantly. Right? Nothing. And in fact, there are some Bible verses that refer to it, like in the Old Testament. They helped me learn about it. And one of them said, the heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. In other words, your heart, your feelings, your motivations, your emotions get transformed into this new state of being. You are sensitive emotionally, 
and everything becomes an emotional experience, everything. And you will not be able to do anything that breaks your own integrity to yourself. Now you think about that. How many of us are doing a job at the moment that we don't want to do? Right? Because we want to earn money. Well, when you get into this state of at-one-ment with God, this is this state in the eighth sphere, which is called at-one-ment with God. Right? When you get into that state, you will not be able to ever do that. And in fact, to be frank with you, by the time you probably get to the third sphere or the fourth sphere of progression, you will not be able to do it. Because you can't stay in something that's untruthful for you anymore. You just can't. It hurts so much that you just can't do it, so you don't. And then you go down the track of, oh, my fears, you know, now I've got my money coming in. What do I do now? And, and, well, that's an emotion, right? And so you deal with that emotion. How do you deal with that emotion? Oh, nobody's going to care for me anymore. No, 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 way I go, right? I feel that emotion and I release that completely. And you know, when I come out of that, I'm going to think, what am I thinking about? Like, I've got a connection with God here. God's the creator of the universe. What am I thinking about? How can I believe that I'm not going to be cared for? But you'll only feel that when the emotions of a lack of abundance and all these other emotions are going to be released from you. That's when you'll feel it. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. So on this path, what happens is you become real, real. Everything is emotionally real. You don't intellectualize yourself and you do not reframe everything. You know, oh, that man punched me in the nose today. Oh, yeah, I know he's got some problems. What? Like, you've got some problems. What do you think your law of attraction is to attract somebody punching you in the nose? You need to have a look at that, you know, what's going on. Now, was it because you were in truth or was it because you were in error? If it was in truth, then fine. But if it was in error, what did you do in error to attract that? What was the emotion? Ah, it was the emotion of fear in me. It was an emotion that I believed my body might die. It was an emo Whatever the emotion is, I release. When I release that, those kind of events happen far less often. And what happens is as I progress more and more and more on the path, I start creating in very, very powerful ways, far more powerful than the intellectual try, 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 try. How many of us are sick of trying? I'm sick of trying. I don't know about you. I spent a lot of my life, this life, doing the trying. right? And the whole reason why I came back to experience this life because it's very different than the first century life I had because the whole life, my whole life in the first century, I didn't have to try. Right? And then I, wanted, I got up the spirit world and, I'm, and everyone else is coming to me, oh, do you know that feeling about trying to do... No, I'm sorry, I don't. You'll have to talk to Mary about that one. I've got no idea about that one. <laughs> you know, and, and I felt totally clueless because the majority of people were coming to me for help and I didn't even know the answers to the majority of their questions, their problems because I hadn't personally experienced them. And so I decided with Mary, because the soul union state is the only way you can come back to earth, that we return. And we decided to return. One of the reasons was so that I could at least get some more like knowledge of what it feels like to try and try and try and try. And it feels terrible. I don't know about you, but I hate it. It's like, I don't ever want to do it again. That's how I feel. And so when you're on this path, that's what you'll get to, the place where you won't have to ever do that again. Every single thing you desire is harmonious with love, and so therefore it's automatically created in this state. In this state... You've got to think your way into it. Yeah, yep, no worries. What am I going to create? And away you go. And while it sounds all lovely, it's not very useful to you. 
Now, just before I ask another question, there's one other thing I'd like to talk about, the two things. This path is self-reliant. You think about it. How much on this earth has we, have we been taught and now come to believe that the only person that's going to get, do something for me is me. Right? That's what we, so we become so self-reliant, right? We base our entire life around it. I've got to create it. I've got to create it all the time. On this path, we are God-reliant. We trust, we trust that if I deal with my emotions, if I deal with my law of attraction and deal with the emotions that are attracting, if I work through my soul condition, if I grow in love, everything I want that I've ever dreamed of is going to be attracted to me. And you know what? When you get into that space, you won't even worry about any time at all in your life. You won't plan anything because you don't need to. The moment you want to go and have a chat with a group of people, they'll be there for you automatically. Now, I know it sounds strange, but it happens like that, exactly like that. Everything you want to create, everything you desire that's harmonious with love will happen. Now, sometimes the time period between you having the desire and it happening can be a bit of time, but it will happen because everything that happens happens because of your desires fully expressed. And so on this path, I'm I'm emotionally connected, God-reliant, childlike, having fun, enjoying myself, not thinking about, worrying about where my next penny is going to come from, where my next meal is going to come from. Does a child worry about those things? Like, no, no, they don't care about that. They know that a meal is going to get put on the table, right? So that's, they don't worry about that. So they, that's how we will be, exactly like that. You will get to this point and you'll look at a person who's in this point if you're coming from an intellectual perspective and say, how do they live their life? Like, What are they going to do tomorrow? And they say, I don't know. Who knows what might happen to me tomorrow? Like, all sorts of things could happen to me tomorrow. I might have a desire tomorrow to do something. I might have a desire tomorrow to make love to my lovely lady all day. So who knows? Something might come up. Other, well, Sorry about that. Um, keep doing these. Something might happen that actually causes me to, to change that. You know, like my desires change at every moment, do they not? Depending on what emotions pass through me. And who knows what they will create. So why do I, why am I invested in that? I won't be invested in that on this path. On this path, I make lots of detailed plans, you know. I was like this. I was just like, you know, write down lists. Every night I used to do that. I used to write down a list of next day. What I do. How many of you have done that in your life? Write down a list of, yeah, so I'm not alone. So, so, so we write down a list of what's happening next day and then what do we do with it? Well, what I did with it is I wrote down a list of all the things that could have gone wrong with that list. No, feeling and that's what I did. I was so afraid of what would go wrong that I wrote down a list of all the things that could go wrong. I was pretty right in that when anything did go wrong, it was usually on my list. Right? Anyway, and so I allowed myself right to write down this list, and then the next day, sure enough, yeah, that happened, that happened, that happened, cross, cross off, cross off, cross off, and whoa, well, yeah, that went wrong, cross off that, cross off that, right. All my life was that planned. It was terrible. Like, it was terrible. I, I, I was living, I was so full of fear that my stomach 
hurt so much every morning I woke up and I would be trembling every time I woke up in the morning. Who's had that emotion of feeling dread every single day of their life? That's what I was like, every single day. And it was only by releasing the causal emotions that created my fears, which in my case were all to do with my first century experience, that all that went. My lovely lady would like to say something. So would you say that the natural love path is typified by trying to control our life and control our emotions? And control, yeah. And the divine love path is actually opening up to feeling everything? Yep. Definitely. As you know, darling. So you can say it differently. So feel everything on that path, yeah? Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it's like, isn't it? So... In this state, I was just like a control freak. Right? And everything had to be even planned, everything had to be just one. Every, and you know, in that state, most things went wrong too, right? <laughs> because that was the state I was in. But in this state, now most things go right. Everything seems to just, oh, fit together. Oh, such and such wants us to go up to Mackay. Oh, okay. What date? Oh, the date I feel like going up is about December sometime. Oh, no, email back. Yeah, we've got a venue available, but it's only available. Isn't this terrible? It's only available on the exact week that I wanted to go up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, this is what happens on the, when you're in this space all the time. Many of you have been in that space at different times of your life, right? But can't create it all the time because of the emotions that cause it. Now, what we'll do now is have a break. Uh, what is the time before we have a break? Five o'clock. You talk too much. That's what the problem is. <laughs> and what we'll do is have a break. Quarter of an hour, is that all right? Is that going to be long enough? And then uh, we'll come back. That'll be good. There's been a question of what happens to the soulmates as they progress. All right? So I'd like to address that issue because it actually affects the teaching of reincarnation, actually. So how many of you firmly believe in reincarnation as you've been taught it from, say, similar to Buddhist or Hindu-type teachings, New Age-type teachings, where you reincarnate over and over and over and over? How many? Quite a, quite a number? Good. All right. You'll find the next bit, bit confronting. Just a, just a forewarning for you. All right. So we're here on the earth and uh, we start having a longing for our soulmate. And what will happen in your progression is as you start progressing, you will actually start working your way through different emotional issues that cause, that cause you to currently have soulmate blockages. Like if you're needy for your soulmate, that's a blockage, by the way. Nobody wants to live in a needy relationship, right? So if you're needy for your soulmate, that's a blockage, it's an emotional blockage. If you have a, uh, emotion, emotion inside of you that you're angry with men and you're a woman and you know your soulmate's a man, then that's a blockage towards you meeting your soulmate. If you have an emotion inside of you and you're a man where you think that, oh, pretty much having sex with any woman will do, well, that's a blockage. Emotional blockage within you that's going to stop you from actually being with your soulmate. Because the truth is that when you meet your soulmate, and, and actually work through all of your emotional injuries, eventually what will happen is you will not desire another single person. You won't, you won't need your parents, you won't need your children, you won't need anybody else except God and your soulmate. Right? That's what will happen. 
Anyway, what happens when we're progressing? Let's say one half of the soul starts progressing on the divine love path. And by the way, soulmate union cannot ever occur on the natural love paths. In other words, if I stay on this kind of a path, I will never experience the complete soul union that I'm speaking to you about. You have to go through the process of the new birth. You have to get into it one with God. And then you have to progress for another 16 spheres, 14 spheres of progression of learning about divine love before you will actually get into this condition of complete soul union with your soulmate. Before then, it will feel pretty good, right? When I say pretty good, like it'll blow you most of you away just feeling it at the third sphere with your soulmate, let alone the one condition with your soulmate. But what will happen is if you do not progress on the divine love path, you'll never experience the soul union state. All right? Now, the soul union state is the state where yourself and your soulmate no longer think or see or feel yourselves to be separate people. That's pretty challenging because that means dealing with all the emotions of control that you have inside of yourself, all the emotions of manipulation, all the emotions that you want to get your own way, all the, you know, all these emotions all get dealt with in this process of becoming at one with your soulmate. But as you progress, let's say one of the soulmates progress first. So she progresses on the divine love path. So she's progressing towards God, right? On the divine love path. Sooner or later what will happen is she'll work through all of the emotional blockages towards her soulmate. And once that occurs, the soulmate starts feeling this change. It's an automatic feeling that occurs in your soulmate, an automatic change. And the automatic change means that the soulmate now starts to be drawn automatically into your life. Right? And you start to be drawn towards wherever he or she is. And it happens without you thinking about it. You just feel drawn. So, and, you know, when we talk about soulmates, is a, usually it's a four-hour discussion, not so this is a very five-minute thing or ten-minute thing that we're talking about today. But later on we have other discussions and there's already like 50 or so discussions on the net you can download about all sorts of subjects and the soulmate discussion is one that we're yet to have, in fact, with everyone. But anyway, you're progressing towards your, your, towards God. You're drawing closer and closer to God. And as you're drawing closer to God, every emotional injury you have about yourself, every emotional injury you have about your about the opposite gender, every emotional injury, and remember emotional injuries are any are covered by anger and resentment and other emotions. So anytime you even feel a smidge of frustration with the opposite gender, right? Anytime you feel a smidge of anything from the opposite gender, what is going to happen is there's an emotional injury. Does that make sense? It's just a spillage of water, isn't it? Is that right? Or a plate. Oh, hot tea. Oh, hot tea. All right. So as I'm progressing, I'm progressing towards God, and I'm the woman in this case. Don't look too much like one, hopefully, but anyway, I'm progressing towards God and I'm the woman. And so what's happening is as I'm progressing, this desire starts building in me. This desire for my only partner, which is my other half, soulmate. 
what happens then is there's an awakening inside of their soul which causes them to feel drawn into my life if they're not already there. And they will be just drawn into my life. Whether they're a spirit or on earth, doesn't matter. They'll be drawn into my life somehow. I'll f- my, the power of my soul will draw that to occur. And the awakening will occur between the two halves. And they don't even have to deal with any injuries. They'll be drawn. The problem with that, of course, is that they might come to us full of injuries. Like, how many of you have a soulmate that's a murderer? Everyone goes, no, 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 that's not my soulmate, right? My soulmate's not a murderer. Well, someone has to have as, like, the murderer as a soulmate. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, so, you know, this is the trouble is what we do is we make judgments a lot, don't we, as to who our soulmate would be and who they aren't. But obviously, you know, there's, there's a whole, whole variety of people our soulmate could be. And it's just a matter of me growing towards God that will attract that soulmate into my life. So I don't have to go out seeking them. They will feel drawn into my life as I progress towards God. So as I do that, I'm progressing towards God and eventually my soulmate will come into my life. Now they might be full of emotions that they have not yet healed. You're going to have to be in a pretty good space dealing with that, aren't you? If you already healed a lot of your emotions and you come up and your soulmate's got a lot, let's say you're a female, you've worked through all your man stuff, all your man anger, all your resentment, all the other things, you've blood and blocked towards your soulmate and all these other emotions you've had to deal with in this process, and then you get to the state where you start to feel quite good and then all of a sudden your soulmate's attracted, oh, he's got like rage with women, rage, <laughs> rage. What, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> Ah, you might feel like getting rid of him, for sure. Yeah. All right, so what would you do? You would actually be already in a state where you do not actually respond to man's rage. Right? Where it doesn't even affect you at all. He can't manipulate you, he can't control you. How's, how good is that going to be? Your soulmate's there, and no matter what state he gets into, you will be able to assist him in love. It doesn't mean you'll be with him sexually yet because he's still, if he's got rage towards women, are you going to want to have sex with a man who's got rage towards women? Probably not, right? So you might not be with him sexually yet, but you would probably still sometimes be in his life and just see, let him develop his desire, let him develop his longing to be with you after you've met and let him work through his different emotional issues. And if you're in a state where you're humble, where you're owning all of your own emotional experience, you'll be able to cope with anything they dish out and you'll be able to stay in a space of self-love with them. And so what will happen if you do that is they will feel even drawn more to, to more to you. So they'll start progressing too and eventually they'll get onto the divine love path as well because the other part of this is that if I've received divine love in my soul, Sooner or later, my soulmate's going to want to do the same. If I haven't, then they might not. But if I have, then my soulmate will definitely want to do the same. So they start receiving divine love and progressing, and eventually you go through the process of the new birth. No one on earth has gone through it at this point except for myself, while they're on earth. All right? Well, I'm not saying this time either, by the way. I need to go through it again with this experience I'm in now. But in the first century, I was the, from then on, nobody has gone through the process of the new birth. When you go through it, when anybody around you goes through it, you'll know it. 
you will feel it from a, it's a totally different condition in space. Okay? Uh, it needs to be on the mic because otherwise it doesn't get recorded. Yeah. Uh, what about in, in, over the years? There's been a lot of so-called enlightened beings. Yes. Yourself included. Um, I know I'm called an enlightened being, but I don't call myself. Well, that. perhaps you were in, the, in 2,000 years ago. No. 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 So, what would you consider an enlightened being? And part two of that is, wouldn't Buddha have been considered someone who's gone the, on the divine path? Of I know Buddha is considered by everyone else to be someone on the divine love path, but Buddha is actually on the natural love path in the sixth sphere. That's where he currently resides. So, so, so the truth is that Buddha, in his, in his, in, in his original concept of, he doesn't have a concept of God that actually is God's concept of God. So Buddha's concept of God is totally different to God's concept of God. And that's why Buddha is not at one with God. So are you saying you can be enlightened and not be with God? Everyone who's defined as a light enlightened is actually usually not on the divine love path. They're all people who believe themselves to be enlightened in the perfect condition of natural love in the sixth sphere. There are literally billions of spirits in what you would call an enlightened state, but it's not what I'm calling a, an at-one-ment state. That's totally different. So could you t say what the difference is? Um, I've already stated some of the differences. One of them is this, is this thing where I say I'm an enlightened being. I'm sorry, I'm not an enlightened being. I never was. In the first century, I wasn't an enlightened being. Does that make sense? In the first century, all I was was the same as what you are, a child of God who went through this process of the new birth into a condition of atonement. I'm still God's child. I don't want you to connect to me because I'm some enlightened being. I want you to connect to God because God's the enlightened being and no one else really is. And particularly all the people who claim themselves to be an enlightened being are not enlightened beings really. Now the enlightened being and a lot of other terminologies are all about how they describe their progression on the natural love path. Does that make sense? So, it's, it, And the problem is, is that there are whole groups of spirits who were with us here today who are prompting many of your questions, who believe themselves to be light, enlightened beings. And the truth is that they are on the natural love path in the sixth sphere of their development and they're not yet even making the transition because they still think they understand the divine love path but they haven't experienced it emotionally. And when they allow themselves to experience it emotionally, they will know the difference. But it's like you, how do I get you to experience love? I can't get you to experience, I can talk about love all day, but I can't get you to feel the emotions of love for God, for example, can I? I can talk to you about if you love God and you think, yeah, I think I love God, but you know, until you feel this passionate desire and longing for God, you will not feel what it's like to love God, let alone to experience God's love to the condition of atonement. The problem is that almost all of the so-called enlightened beings that have ever been on this planet have all been on the natural love path and many of them still are right? because they don't want to give up their concept of self or they've given up their concept of self. So when I say don't want to give up their concept of self, I mean self-reliance or they've given it up so much that they've given up their free will. And on this path, you never give up your free will, ever. In fact, your free will multiplies and grows on this path. Remember, I said one of the reasons for incarnation is to fully realize your own free will. 
So giving it up is not going to be beneficial. What Buddha has done, he's, he's in the sixth sphere. I've met him many times in the spirit world. He's in the sixth sphere. He has given up the whole concept that he's an individual. He does not believe himself to be an individual anymore. And what he's doing is he's totally reliant on this concept that has overcome his being, that he's actually not an individual. He's now, in his own belief, become God in his own belief. And he is in a six-sphere state in that belief. It's very, very hard to talk to him. It's almost impossible to convince him anything other than what he believes in that state. And this is the problem, is that many of the so-called leaders who were looked up to here on earth and who have been looked up to for years and generations are actually in that state. All I am is your brother and all I've done is done the same as what I'm just saying to you, you can do. And I'm never going to be an enlightened individual. I'm never going to call myself that. I'm never going to call myself a guru. I'm never going to call myself an avatar. I am not those things. All I am is the same as you. I am just a child of God right? who has received divine love in the same manner that I would like to describe to you that I've, you know, that you can receive it. That's all. That's all I am. Does that make sense? Now, you don't have to agree with me because you can actually pass or you can get mediums to talk to Buddha if you want. You will have a lot of trouble getting a medium to talk with Buddha because Buddha does not normally do that. But you might have to pass before you investigate and get to the sixth fear yourself before you can investigate where he is. But I can tell you at the moment this is where he is. I'm hoping that with all the changes that occur on the earth coming up, with all the different things that are going to happen over the next 10 years or so, that he condition, but I've seen many people take many thousands of years from his condition to get into a different condition. Remember, I've lived 2,000 years, so I've seen many people stay in these states for 1,000 years at a time of this condition. And in the six-fear condition, not wanting to change, believing very, very firmly a whole set of beliefs that lock them in the same place that you on earth believe is an enlightened condition and it's not. It's a condition of shutdown, emotional shutdown and going into this so-called nirvanic bliss which is actually, in many cases, just the projection of all the adulation and glorification from other people entering their soul. It's a very damaging place for them to exist in. Over there, if I could. And I know some of this is confronting, by the way, what I'm saying. You don't have to believe it, remember. AJ, I was just wondering about the Ascended Masters, like St. Germain, Skatumi, uh, Um Again, the definition on earth of Ascended Masters, yeah. every single person in the spirit world who's raised themselves, in terms of their connection with God, they actually feel that God's raised them into this condition of atonement, don't call themselves an Ascended Master. They just don't. What... An ascended master, what does that really mean? Isn't that a sort of like a condition of glorification in the end? Saying, I'm the master, you're the slave is almost the implication, right? Nobody in that state calls themselves an ascended master. So is that just a human terminology? It's a, it's a human term in order to glorify generally a medium's connection to a certain spirit. Okay. And the person on earth needs to look at the emotion of what that is and that's 
an emotion in them that they need to say to you, oh, aren't I wonderful? I'm connecting to the Ascended Master, St. Germain. Now, St. Germain is on the Divine Love Path and St. Germain is in the Celestial Kingdom, but St. Germain doesn't call as himself an Ascended Master. Yeah. So, like Francis, many of you have heard of St. Francis, right? Of Assisi, same goes. Many of you will call him an Ascended Master. He doesn't call himself that at all. What about Kutumi? Well, this is a this is a state with a lot of these, but but bear in mind that many of what you call ascended masters are actually not ascended masters. There are people in the natural love state, in the six sphere state, who believe themselves to be ascended, and that's a very different condition than actually being at onement with God, because when you're in at onement with God, you don't even call yourself ascended. It's a natural state every single person can get into. It's a state of humility, not a state of grandeur and power and all that stuff. You, you don't even think of any of those things in that state. You follow me? It's like, I do. can you see the difference? I do. If I'm, if I'm saying to you, look, I'm different to you, and you know, whatever I've done, you can't do. I'm an ascended master. I've always been there before you, whatever, whatever, and I rave on about that. And I don't believe inside of my heart that you could ever be where I've been, then aren't I setting myself above you? Does God set me above you? No. God doesn't set me above you. I am a child of God. But those beings Not all the ones you've mentioned are, no. Okay. No. You know how you get these angel cards from Dorian Virtue or whatever and you get many of the ones on those cards are actually in the sixth year natural love state, and some of the ones on those cards are in a divine love state. It just depends. Like a lot of times they're treated as ascended masters, but on the earth it's how we define things. We're always interested in defining things, right? Why? Because we're addicted to this emotion of comparing. We're addicted to this emotion of wanting to think that I'm better because I have this connection with this spirit, you know? I went and sit down with one spirit. And, oh, well, sorry, John, when he was here, sat down with one spirit, I can remember, with one medium, and he goes to sit down. This is the Apostle John, by the way. One of the, there is a group of seven souls who have returned to the earth, and Apostle John was one of those. He's now passed. But what happened was he went to a medium, sat down with the medium, and the medium said, I'm, I've got Archangel Michael and Archangel Gabriel with me right now. What do you want to know? And Michael said, well, I'd like to ask them a few questions. Sorry, John said, well, I'd like to ask them a few questions. How dare you ask them questions, they're saying to me. How dare you? You Now, who, who responds like this if they're humble? So do you think this was an Archangel Michael and the Archangel Gabriel? Like, you come up and ask me, you, you come up and ask me questions even about my own identity, and, and I let you just, like, be condescending to me and everything, and I just say, no worries. Like, do you think... Do you think an, uh, uh, an ascended, a, a person who's at a one-minute condition, a person who's gone through all of their emotions, do you think they're going to be angry with you for asking a question? No. So who are they? Who are those spirits? They're not the people, the medium, and the spirits are claiming them to be. Because it's so easy, you know, when you connect to a medium, isn't it? You know, you imagine yourself being a spirit for a moment. You're invisible, right? Also. Your condition, even if you're in the second sphere, is better than most mediums who you're connecting to. So can they tell who you are? Can they tell that you're in the seventh sphere, sixth sphere? You can say anything. 
Now, in the second sphere, you still haven't even learnt to tell the truth. <laughs> right? I mean tell the truth all the time. Right? So, so the lady who's the medium or the man who's the medium says, oh, who is this? Come to me, please. Put, surround myself with all this light. And, and who, who, who's come to me now? And they say, I'm the Archangel Michael. And he's a liar. Like, <laughs> he's not the Archangel Michael. He's in the second sphere and he hasn't even learnt to tell the truth yet. Right? But he's claiming to be the Archangel Michael because it gives him the sense of power and control and connection with this woman and unhealed emotions are what actually are drawing him anyway. So, so she's saying, oh, isn't that wonderful? I've got the Archangel Michael with me. You know, and then I ask a question about, uh, I want to know about reincarnation. Is that a truth? And he says, yes. Okay, okay, no worries. So we write down that truth. Does he know it's a truth? How would he know it's the truth? You don't know if he knows it's the truth. You're just trusting him because he's saying who he is. Now, honestly, I say who you are and you can see my face and you don't believe me. Why do you then go to a spirit who you can't even see right, and then trust them saying that they are somebody? Can, can you see that? See, can you see how illogical that is? It's such an illogical thing to do. Like, you can't even believe someone who's right there staring you in the face. How can you believe somebody who's actually not even there that you can feel and you can't see them? How are you going to know who they are? Can you see? You don't. You only know what they claim. And if they're not telling the truth, you don't know unless you can feel them telling a lie. Now, for you to feel them telling a lie, you know where you're going to have to be? You're going to have to at least be in the third sphere of your own development. Can you see that? Because that's the sphere where you learnt to, not, to, to always tell the truth. You're going to have to be there. You're going to have to be actually above where they are before you'll actually be able to see whether they're telling you the truth or not. You see, there's a general rule in the universe, and that is, that unless you are in a condition of love that is either the same or greater than a condition of love that another person is in, you will not be able to see their emotional condition. Makes sense, doesn't it? You, it's always easy to see from, the, from, from above down, isn't it? Much, much harder to look up and, and see the truth. And this is the case on the earth. And see, all of us, many of us are looking up. The, the truth is mediumship is true. There is this connection you can have with spirit. You can talk to spirits all the time. That's, that's the truth of the universe. But don't believe that in doing that, that you're actually talking to the spirit who is claiming that they are somebody that you believe automatically. Don't, don't believe that that's the truth. They are a spirit who's come to you for a law of attraction reason. Allow yourself to work through whatever that law of attraction is. Anyway, let's get back to the soulmate, because that was a big aside. Let's get back to soulmates. We're, we're progressing, right? We're attracting our soulmate into our life. We go through the one condition. When you're in this one condition, your soul is so powerful that if your soulmate hasn't met you and they're on the earth yet, they're pretty insensitive, because they will have already been started to be attracted into your life, highly likely. So what happens is they start getting attracted into your life and they have emotions to work through, but because you're in a state that's very good, 
you can deal with these emotions with love all the time. Instead of, you know, they project a bit of woman anger, and what do you get? You project your man anger back, and it's just a matter then after that of who projects the anger the most as to who wins, right? Isn't that what happens, right? So, so now if I'm in a state of love and I'm a woman and the man's projecting this man, this woman anger at me, oh no, it's woman anger. I can feel what it is. I know what the cause is. I can help him identify it if he wants to. I can help him work through the emotion if he wants to. If he doesn't want to, I just say, sorry, I can't help you at the moment. Go away. Watch what he's doing in his life. He goes around and has sex with a few other women, gets tired of that, comes back to me, and I go through the emotion with him eventually. He'll come around. And I don't have any hurt about that at all. That's what I'll be in. That's the state I'll be in. So, so I'm attracting my soulmate. Now, what's happening above the eighth sphere? Remember, I said there's up to the 21st sphere here. There's a 22nd sphere, which is the highest dimension or space at this point. There's a transition that occurs between the 21st and 22nd sphere, and that's called the soul union. The soul combines, recombines into its original state. Remember, it started in this state way, 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 way back before incarnation. It started in this state. And now I'm back in this state, but there's a huge difference. I know exactly who I am. My soulmate and I know exactly who I am. She knows exactly who she is. When I say I am, we are both I am in that state. We become the one being again in that state. And in that state, I have this awesome potential and power that I never, because I've realized all of my abilities with regard to free will. And every single thing I do from the eighth sphere state onwards is harmonious with divine love. It's harmonious with the laws of the universe. And so I'm in this hugely powerful state of creation. And you know, you can only reincarnate from that place. Okay, now that poses a lot of questions, doesn't it? But what about this reincarnation stuff? What about you go to the spirit world, you have your life review, you come back, you go to the spirit world, a life review, come back. We've all reincarnated, right, conversations with God says we've reincarnated 600, he reincarnated 680 something times, and you know, we all have. What's going on? What, what's AJ saying? And I'm saying categorically, you cannot reincarnate without firstly reaching the soul union state. And by the way, at some point when you deal with your emotions, if you have reincarnated, you will know and remember that state. And it won't be because some spirit's projecting it at you and telling you that it's that state. It'll be because you can feel you are in that state. And you'll have all these memories. You'll have firstly a whole, if you're in it, reincarnated, you will firstly a whole group. You will remember every little thing eventually about your first time you were here. And then you will remember all of your life in the spirit world, going through the spheres, people you meet, everything. And then you'll remember the union state. You'll actually even remember what it felt like to reincarnate. And by the way, it doesn't feel very nice to reincarnate onto this planet in this time with these emotions. 
not very nice at all. But you'll remember all of that. Right? And you will understand the divine truth because the divine truth that I'm telling you, you would already know. And you'd probably even be already teaching it. Although it will be maybe very traumatic if you reincarnated into this state. We'll talk about the trauma at maybe another time. Now, if I'm in this state in the 22nd sphere, can you see why? In the 22nd sphere, I am back. I'm now this like super soul. You'd like supersize me, right? So I'm now this super soul, if you like, and I'm not super for anything inside of myself. It's because of God's love that's entered me, that's transformed me. Does that make sense? So it's got nothing to do with how great I am or how good you know, my soulmate is that got us there. It's just our desire to experience God's love that got us there. Right? It's divine love that got us into that state. So how could you ever say, oh, I'm so proud of myself. Oh, wow, I've, you know, I've done so much. I, you know, aren't I great? When God did it all for you, really. Right? This is why I'm a child of God. When we're in that state, we can now reincarnate. That's when we can reincarnate. Reincarnation, sorry. Um, can you just ask the question because it's an important one, but we'll get a mic. Yeah. Would you want to at that state? I mean, that's the question. Would you want it? What do you think? M most of the time, no. What's the only reason why you'd want it? Love. Love is the only reason why you'd want it, to come back here to teach love. That's the only reason why you'd want it. So when you come back, what happens? You come back to the earth and you're risking now going back. You are going to go back to the first sphere condition because what happens? Remember what I said what happens when you first incarnate? You take all the emotional damage and everything from parents and situations. But now, not only do you have that to deal with, you now have 2,000 years of emotional experiences which have now been, which were cleared, which are memories, now being reflected through that experience. Right? Now, does that sound pretty traumatic? Yes, it's very traumatic. And in the future, sometime in the future, there'll be people on earth who are in an abundant condition. Do you think it's going to be traumatic then? No. To reincarnate then will be a breeze. You'll even remember from the moment you open your eyes. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm Jesus. I can remember that. Like, it won't be this long, drawn-out emotional process you've got to go through before you have all of the memories of your life. That's what will occur. Everyone here is capable of doing this, by the way. No one's separate from that. Another question? But you would want to do it for love. Definitely. Before you talked about um, the, the events that are going to happen in the near future over the next few years. Yep. Would you like to say something about that? Uh, probably not in this discussion. Um, so later on? Well, to me, they're not really a part of the secrets of the universe. Okay. I know many of you are interested because your personal lives are involved with them and all those kind of things. But um, I'm happy to talk about them in future discussions. Uh, but but in reality, it's not very important. Now, everyone says, oh, look, we might have an earthquake here and there might be a flood and tidal wave. Who knows? And you're saying that's not very important and I'm saying no. 
It's not. Because the truth is that what's important is your soul progression. Yes. That's what's important to me. Now, people think that, you know, there are times in history where I was on the battlefields of, you know, the First World War and the Second World War trying to help souls. I wasn't. I wasn't because they were in a battle that they didn't, they were in a battle, a physical battle, that wasn't even real. It's a battle of the soul that's the only real battle that you ever need to fight. The battle of the soul is how loving do you want to be or how unloving do you want to be? That's the battle of the soul in the end. And it's a, and, and it claims lots of torturous existences. There are literally billions of people who have passed from this earth in the spirit world and billions of people on this planet who are in a terrible, terrible, painful, suffering state because of this battle of the soul. Every other battle, physical on earth, means nothing in comparison to this soul progression that you can make. Now, can I just look at what's happened with this reincarnation thing? Right? What I'm saying to you is that reincarnation can only occur from the 22nd sphere state and the first time someone reached the 22nd sphere state was 1935 of this century, of this previous century. And why 1935? Well, that's how long it took. The first soul to reach that state was, was our soul, myself and Mary. And it took 2,000 years for us to learn about God's truth. And we're slow learners. And that's why it took that long to reach from the 8th sphere state to the 22nd sphere state. Right? Now, after that, other souls came into that state. And then eventually there got to be seven souls in that state. And then those seven souls decided that because of all of these things coming up on the planet and because of God's plan and, and of course in that state you're at one with God, talking to God all the time, you know what God's plans are, we decided to return to the planet and to go through all the trauma and the emotional stuff and everything else and teach it through our own example of how to become at one with God as a part of the changes that are going to happen to this planet coming up. It's all been foretold, remember, hasn't it? It's all been foretold. It's all been prophesied from way, way historically that these events would occur and it's also been ironically foretold that myself and others would return. Now, what we decided to do was return. The first one of us returned in 1962. And then the second one returned, the third one returned, and so forth. And now there are other souls, other than those seven original souls, that have reached the one condition, and they're starting to return. And many of them for different reasons. But the first seven have returned specifically to teach the truths, the divine truths. Now, you don't have to believe any of that. There will be a point in the future, if you progress on this path, where you know that to be true inside of yourself and you've experienced the truth of that. But you don't have to believe it right now. It doesn't affect you, in fact, right now. 
But all I'm doing is telling you the truth of reincarnation. Now that raises lots of questions about reincarnation. And so what we, there is a whole discussion, a four hour discussion that we have about reincarnation. Answering all of the questions about reincarnation. Why is it then that I can remember some event? Why is it that, you know, I felt I was this person in a past life or that person in a past life? Why is it that when I did some past life regression, the person who took a photo of me photoed me and actually, you know, I've got a video of it. You know, why does that happen? What was going on? And there is an explanation. If there is the truth in anything, there is an explanation of absolute truth in everything that can be presented to you. The key is whether you want to investigate that or not, or whether you want to say, ah, oh, this reincarnation issue, that, you know, no, that's it. Can't accept the rest of it because of that issue. It's up to you what you do because it is your life. And you're allowed to believe in reincarnation for the rest of your life. By the way, there are still millions of spirits in the sixth sphere trying to reincarnate. And they believe totally the reincarnation that you've been presented through Buddhist or Hindu teachings or other philosophies, they believe totally in these philosophies, totally. They have no um, doubt in their own minds that those things are true, but they are not true. Sorry? We can reincarnate. I've just told you we can, but only from the 22nd sphere state. Can we, uh, we need mics so, though, because otherwise our recording gear doesn't get it. What's the time, by the way? Yeah. Um, I'd like to know if we don't reincarnate, how are we going to get through all the spheres? Well, there's this, there's this false belief here on earth and in the spirit world that you have to reincarnate to get rid of karma. And it's not true. The truth is that you can progress just as rapidly on earth or even more rapidly in the spirit world, and you don't have to come to earth to do it. All you need to do is work through the emotions that have caused you to be to arrive in the spirit world at a certain state. There are literally hundreds of thousands of spirits with us right now, hearing this material, and I mean who are wanting to reincarnate. Now those spirits need to bear in mind that they don't have to. All they need to do is work through their emotional issues where they are right now. That's all they have to do. And when they do that, they will automatically grow into a new sphere of love. They don't have to reincarnate at all. And I can feel many of them even just hearing that, feeling like a sigh of relief. Because who wants to come back and reinfect yourself with stuff over and over and over and over again, working through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives here on the earth when you can just do it in one? Why would you want to do that? You wouldn't want to, would you? No, so, so, so the best thing to do is, see, the, the truth is always beautiful. The truth is always loving. I just sort of, you know, when I first, like, I've never believed in reincarnation. So that might sound funny, but anyway. I've never believed in it. The thing, in the way that it's been presented on the earth. Because, because for this reason. And even in, when I was in the spirit world, I never believed in it, by the way. Um, and there's channeled messages, actually, that you can read from me that I've never believed in it. But anyway, I've never believed in it because it's an unloving teaching. And God never does anything unloving. God always does things in the most direct, beautiful way. God never is unloving. God never creates a law that's unloving. 
Now, like, let's listen, listen to the law of reincarnation as it's proposed by most religious forms or new age. I live a life on earth. My life on earth, I do lots of damage to myself and other people. I go to the spirit world with all this damage. I have a big life review. Now I've got to work through the karma, the damage that I did, by returning back to earth. I return back to earth. But, oh, by the way, God's going to rub out all your memory of what happened in the last life and all the things you did do wrong in this process. So not only now do I have to deal with my karma from my previous life, I can't remember the karma that I have to deal with. (laughs) Right? Now, oh, yeah, that's right. Now I've got a spirit with me. Yes, she's telling me that I actually was Joan of Arc. Yeah, but how does that help me deal with my karma? What did I do as Joan of Arc? Did I, did I slaughter people? Yes, I did. I murdered people when I was Joan of Arc. Right. What kind of karma do I have to work through now about that? I don't know. I can't connect to that emotionally. So how do I work through it? Can you see there's so much, there's so much error in the teaching as it's presented to you. But, but the trouble with the mind is this. When something all sounds logical to the mind, we then go ahead and believe it even though we don't understand that our mind's logic is based upon our emotional error. We are often highly illogical in our mind because of an emotional error that exists in our soul. Does that make sense? Yes. Can I ask if, um, if we clear our own emotions and yep. we go into divine love, does that clear all our DNA for all our relatives that have given us? Yes, it clears everything because the beauty of your soul development is your soul drives everything that's happening to your spirit body and everything that's happening to your physical body. So there's spirits here in this room at the moment that have huge crosses and fissures all over their body. They look a mess. They look in the mirror and they can't stand the sight of themselves. And I'm saying to those spirits, just like I'm saying to you, that you can progress from that state without coming back to earth by just dealing with your emotions and connecting with God receiving divine love and you will do that if you continue to do that and release those emotions your bodies whether they are a spirit body or a material body will automatically repair and it will repair so much that you will grow young again but I'm talking about other people that have given us these problems in some cases like doesn't parents, matter. Grandparents, Whatever is in my soul unexperienced, as soon as I allow the experience of it, I will release it. It doesn't matter where it came from. But will it help to release it for them as well? Um, not no. necessarily. They've got their free will, so they're allowed to decide to hold on to it if they want to. It can help them a lot, but it may not. If it's our children, yes, it will help them immensely because most of their injuries were created by my own denial of my own injuries. So, of course, with our children, it will help them work through everything very rapidly. But it may not, too. It's their free will. They have free will. They're allowed to make the choices they make. They're allowed to not deal with their emotions. Now, um, what I'm going to have to do, because we need to pack up and, and we've only actually booked it for 6 o'clock, um, so what we're going to have to do tonight is finish it now. And if you're welcome to come along tomorrow, and, I'm, and tomorrow is more like a question and answer session, and I'll present a few more details about the secrets of the universe in that session, but you're welcome to come along tomorrow. Same kind of thing, same kind of format, and if you want to bring some food, there'll be some food here available as well during the the day. We'll start at 1 o'clock. 
But I'd like to thank you very much for your attention and your beautiful way you've treated me. <laughs>